Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I asked him, why were you crying? He said, man, for you, for you. He has the biggest heart. This is a good day. It's taken me nearly two hours to get from Douglas to Blackpool. If you walk past Street, there are people in doorways and they're shouting at you. Fighting with each other over the tree. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with P.J. Yeah, we had a lot of response yesterday to uh, Cork Prison and the statistic that came out of there that 10 people were sleeping on the floor of cells on mattresses and that probably since that statistic was released at the weekend, there's probably even more because the prison is overcrowded. It was at 104% capacity Yesterday, and I was talking to Shira, Searsha rather, from the Irish Prisons Reform Trust about how they believe that nobody should ever have to sleep on the floor of a prison cell because it is degrading and it is the deprivation of their liberty is all that needs to happen. And then we had Dan who said, I don't care how the guy who robbed my house is sleeping. In fact, I don't particularly care if he's sleeping at all because myself and my wife haven't slept since the night of the burglary. So we had quite a response to that and I will return to it later on this morning. Also, I'll be talking to Jessica, who lost 10 stone. That's an entire person when you think about it. That is an entire person. But Jessica's story of how she lost it why she felt she had to lose it and her whole thought process on losing of weight and keeping the weight off is quite fascinating. I'll talk to her later on this morning. But first, it is a dirty, filthy, manky, horrible morning across Cork City and County. And the thought of a little bit of sunshine and a little holiday break is very enticing. Even if all you wanted to do was go to Paris for the weekend for the rugby match and try to get a last minute package or even if you're looking at booking to get out for the midterm break at the end of the month for a small bit of sunshine like if you look at Rome last weekend where they were playing the Ryder Cup blazing sunshine not a cloud in the sky for the weekend and here we are looking out at that kind of mank on the 5th of October but if you go if you manage to go to Paris for the rugby 
you'd want to be a little bit careful. If you're already in Paris for the rugby, if you're going to Paris for the rugby, you'd want to be a small little bit careful. You might bring back an unwelcome tourist. Because as you were, the authorities in Paris are very concerned about bed bugs. Now, bed bugs are a thing wherever you go in Europe. They're much more prevalent than they are here. They like to feed on our blood. They like the warmth of our bodies. And they like to um, feed on us during the night. And if you've ever been bitten by a bed bug, it's a very painful, itchy, scratchy little thing. But it's got to the point now where the Eurostar trains people are deep cleaning the trains. On the Paris Metro, they're deep cleaning the trains. One assumes that the airlines are deep cleaning planes coming out of Paris. One would hope so. It is a problem. It it has become something of a problem. On Corrie, uh, travel journalist uh, and editor of Air and Travel magazine. On they are commonplace. Bedbugs are commonplace in France and Spain, but we do seem to have a problem here. Good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. And they can go for a year without food. So uh, last year's bedbug can suddenly jump to life. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Didn't know that. <laughs> it's, they'll be ready for the Olympics after the World Cup when they stop eating after the World Cup. But the thing is that, um, you know, it's full of headlines. It's a lot of headlines. The reality is the state of the problem is probably overstated a little bit uh, because it uh, isn't affecting bookings. It isn't affecting people traveling. There was one cancellation which sort of catapulted this into the headlines. Somebody who had an Airbnb booking for the World Cup, uh, an Irish fan, and discovered that it was cancelled. Uh, Bedbooks, uh, summer is a good time for them. Uh, then around September, you have this huge infestation of them. And the infestation used to be worse than years gone by. Uh, so the, worldwide, it used to be but these very heavy-duty insecticides that came in in the 1940s, 1950s, DDT would be the most prominent of them, mm. more or less almost wiped them out. The thing about it is insecticides are out of fashion. Uh, you're not allowed to use a lot of the heavy-duty ones anymore. They're making a comeback, and the ones that are making a comeback a bit like... Uh, all the problems we have with bacteriology, uh, that they're a little bit more resistant, so they're harder to get rid of. In a hotel where the laundry goes out every day and the sheets are washed and changed every day or two, they're less of a problem than, like you say, in an Airbnb where the stuff might only be changed in between rentals. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it is, a, it is a matter of the, the right temperature. It is a matter of the changing of beds. It's, a change, it's all of those sort of things. But they... We are, are we at a scale a problem where the hospitals reached about 10 or 15 years ago where we're now moving to rubber um, mattress, rubber coatings and mattresses and sheets and things like that? Probably not, but it's certainly cert uh, something worth keeping an eye on. Mm. And as you say, when you're bitten by one, you know all about it. You do. Um, as somebody once said, anybody who thinks, who doesn't believe that uh, in small problems should go to bed with a mosquito. <laughs> Indeed. Get one trapped under the sheet with you. It ain't pleasant. But on it hasn't deterred anybody from travelling. You, you can't get onto a plane to, to, to France this weekend. Nor, nor is it going to. And it's not a French problem, it's an international problem. But for France, 
uh, is absolutely, it's oddly enough, France is well positioned for things like the World Cup and for the Olympics next year because of the sheer number of beds, 280,000 of them. That would be more than New York, you know, or Le Vegas. Uh, it certainly dwarfs the, the number that we'd have in Dublin really? of uh, about 30,000. It's one of the cities with the most hotel beds in the world. Really? So okay. something like the World Cup can come and go without causing the havoc that it did, for instance, in Cardiff, as people remember trying to get a bed in Cardiff a few years ago. Now, the thing about it is, the uh, issue for is the flights, as you say. Air, uh, Ryanair have put eight extra flights on, but that's not going to solve the problem for people getting in and out because tickets are going to be the problem from now on. And the big packages... Uh, for the semi-final and final and of course we're, we're crossing our fingers and pleading wood as we're talking about this um, the big packages are about €1,200 Euro now uh, for flying in and out and getting to the match the problem is going to be the match tickets I was listening to people talking after the South Africa game Owen of having booked packages that they thought included tickets and when they got to the stadium there was a problem because somebody else had just bar scanned the same ticket Okay, uh, there is there's a, a sort of a, a ticket agent. It's held by um, Club Travel, Abbey Travel, and Kilester Travel. Uh, that lots of people would be very familiar with travelling with the Munster Rugby Team. Yeah. Um, that uh, McCurtain does a great job representing them in Cork. Now they would have the access to the tickets. Anybody else you book with? There's a lot of them say uh, without tickets and there's a lot of them saying, well, we, we, we'll try and source tickets. But the sourcing of those tickets is messy. If you aren't with the official agent, and even if you are with the official agent and there's a name change, uh, the bar scanning systems aren't as good at stadiums as they are uh, for airlines, for instance. The aviation industry has to be on top of this game. And we have seen very highly publicised incidents, notably at the UEFA final, Champions League final, but also the Bordeaux match. Um, we saw it with one of the English matches in Marseille with, with legitimate tickets not showing up in the scanner yeah. and people being refused entry. It's a big, big deal because your only reason for going on this trip is to be at that match. Yeah, I was listening to someone on a radio show last week who had got these tickets for their 40th birthday and the whole lot was included arrived up at the stadium tickets in hand it's already been scanned in and that was the end of it they weren't going into the match it, but I mean that's that's distressing when that happens your, your your real problem is you're not dealing with a senior official you're dealing with someone with an incomplete high school or secondary school education usually they're not going to be listening to anything I guess if words get exchanged it becomes a security issue and you get all that heavy handed stuff yeah. but you would be surprised PJ the number of tickets matches I've been at where tickets didn't scan you know sometimes I'm with a group a large group and the scan doesn't work or the other thing is <clears throat> there's a lot of IDs you know you have to show ID that the name of the ticket is the same as the, the one on the, on the ticket uh, and you know I've been, I've been I travel obviously a fair bit and I try and take in matches abroad a lot and it it does astonish me that the number of times it wouldn't be every time it wouldn't be even half the time but the number of times that at least one of the party has that very stressful situation of the ticket a legitimate ticket not scanning and then that argument it's really really difficult um, I would wish that there would be some sort of all encompassing technology yeah. uh, introduced for these things because it's happening more often than is comfortable Well let us assume that we'll get safely past Scotland on Saturday night one would hope at least and then that 
the big, the bigger call is next weekend when one assumes again it's the All Blacks. Let us imagine, let us dream of getting to a semi final. Where would you advise people to go to make sure that that package does have a ticket, a ticket that will scan in? Colester uh, Travel, uh, the Abbey Travel and Colester Travel. Um, official the official, official salespeople. Like official you. salespeople. And they, the problem is that an awful lot of the packages, they, they, they will. The, the, the official agent actually pays sometimes more for the tickets than uh, the, the game the game price. It's sort right. of a, a way that the uh, sports organisations have seen them making money, money. So what they tend to do is bundle it in with hotels and flights. <laughs> but if you look at those websites at the moment, it says there's little red sold out signs in most yeah. of the semi-final finals. If we don't beat Scotland, we shouldn't even be there. I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward. We're going to the quarters. The real problem is we have never been beyond the quarters. And exactly. Been, uh, Everybody wants I've to get to that semi final. That disappointed person in the crowd. I'm still traumatized by some of the All Ireland qu- uh, World Cup quarterfinals. Stop! Stop! stop. I, I don't even want. I don't even want. I, I won't sleep before. I don't know that for 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 a fact. Now, no, we're gonna we're gonna do it this time. We have to. Yeah. Couple of other things. It's never uh, been as good. It's never been as good. No. Couple of couple of other things. I mentioned the fact that it's a horrible morning out there, and a lot of people will be browsing over the keyboard to see can I get away to a bit of sunshine with the kids for the midterm break at the end of the month. And you know yourself, there are very few places serve better out of Cork than Malaga. And you're fairly sure of the sunshine. Now, I priced it this morning, Owen, for three people to go out of Malaga for the jazz weekend with Aer Lingus, to go to Cork to Malaga. And they were coming in at not far south of €1,600 Euro for the weekend. The same dates and roughly the same flight times out of Gatwick with EasyJet, 530 euro. Like, we're getting crucified here, particularly at peak times. Very simple supply and demand. If the demand is high, the prices fly up. Britain is underperforming uh, for loads of reasons, Brexit being one of the main ones, and the economy being another. Um, They're both related. The uh, Cork has uh, probably underestimated capacity this year. Mm. The airlines didn't put on the number of flights. Uh, Rhine, we're very dependent on Ryanair in Ireland. They are now they used to be about uh, just uh, just around forty six percent of overall uh, seats out of Ireland. They're now close to seventy percent because since the pandemic they were first back. But one of the things with Ryanair this year, and it's not entirely their fault for the change, uh, was that they had to curtail flights that they had but, uh, to key locations like Barcelona being an example because of their aircraft were late. They're supposed to have 47 to the right. Christmas. They only have 17. So some of their flights are, are, are have been chopped off. The overall out of Ireland is about 96% of what it was pre-pandemic. I think what the airlines did was they put a supply that was a bit lower than that, whereas you're just mentioning England. It's the opposite problem. They have extra seats they can't sell and they're cancelling flights because they can't sell them. Really? But I would expect 2024 to be better, but don't expect to be going back to pre-pandemic prices because uh, there's loads of other things like... Not even pre-pandemic prices, Owen, but when you look at it for a family trying to get away. Now, look, going away, I've always said anyone who tries to bring their family away during midterm, you know what you're in for. We never did it because of that exact reason. The prices, literally on the Thursday before midterm, the prices double and treble. But three times as much out of Cork as out of Gatwick to get to the same place. Supply and demand has gone mad there. 
Uh, supply and demand is, it does go mad. Uh, the last three flight, uh, seats on a flight are going to be expensive. The uh, interesting way though, uh, they program the computers, the midterm never goes down that low. So even if you were to book it last this time last year, uh, you would actually find a, you know, a, a, a wonderful price two weeks before or two weeks after. And they have a tradition of trebling, not doubling, but trebling yeah. uh, to, from the weeks around them. Midterm, uh, October to March is also when most of the airlines cut back the number of aircraft that keep in the air. So they can't actually artificially just throw them on for the peaks in that period. The most notable peak is during Christmas. So we're looking at pretty high prices for Christmas. I'd love to see more routes out of Cork, by the way, that would take the pressure off Malika. If you had somewhere like Murcia, uh, yeah. much, much cheaper to get to there, much, much cheaper. The resorts around there are much, much cheaper. It'd be a lovely route to get yeah, to Cork. Talk to me about that for a second. You said, so the planes, okay, less planes fly in, in the winter. We get that. But you're saying to me that a bit like if you take the bus, Cork-Dublin bus or Cork-Dublin train, they put on more trains at peak time, they put on more buses at peak time. You can't find two or three more planes, can you? And say, right, for Christmas we're going to have more more pressure on. Most airlines can't because they have to recertify uh, the, the aircraft and it's not worth it. It doesn't actually pay back. But uh, we won't have that problem with Ryanair this winter because they're under so much pressure. They're they're uh, they're not going to have uh, extra aircraft to throw around in winter, like uh, uh, and they won't be parking up by the look of things. I have you, I have you. Busy, busy times for for Ryanair. Just another thing too. I notice um, just reading about it, campsites in France and Spain and. Italy and the Netherlands, very popular this year, on and very popular booking into 2024. The most wonderful holiday ever, PJ. Really? Never uh, done it, I, I have to say. Uh, all my, my my girls have gone beyond teenage uh, years now. I used to have black hair before my, I had teenage daughters. but they're, That'll do it to anyone on. Having teenage daughters gray. will colour any man's hair. <laughs> Tell you that. <laughs> But uh, they no, I, I'm going to get to, uh, if they be onto their solicitors very soon. The parent one, but the reality is all our, all our uh, family holidays were camping. All of them were by boat, by ferry uh, through Cork or through uh, Rosslare, and they. The sweet spot for us was the Vaughan Day. It's about five hours drive down from the two Roscoff and Cherbourg at two entry points. And uh, camping doesn't mean uh, the tent on the side of the mountain with the leak in it like it used to in my childhood. It's very, it's very, uh, it's air conditioned uh, mobile homes and yeah. uh, campsites with water slides and zip lines. And, you know, so some of them you stay in a tree house, you know, it's just fabulous stuff. Mm. It's real. And that was our teenage years, and it was very happy. And they come back with smatterings of different languages from the children they meet on the side. I couldn't recommend it more highly. It's a fantastic way to spend a holiday. And it's probably under the radar compared with the Bucket and Spade uh, Malaga because uh, it's uh, easier to, uh, more guaranteed sunshine in the south of Spain. Um, a lot of people aren't, uh, will do the, the fly drive now, rather, but I do recommend the, the travelling by, by ferry because of the, uh, particularly when you've got the, the, the younger the child, the more luggage you have to bring, yeah. uh, particularly <laughs> you have the luggage issue. And then you come to uh, the ferry on your way home and you look at the wine shop 
and you look at your two daughters and you say, do we really have to bring them home because if we left them here, we could spit, uh, fit another case of wine into the car. You've been there, haven't you? I know, I know. If, if social services are listening, I never said that. Oh, no, always a pleasure. Thank you. Owen Curry, uh, editor of Air and Travel magazine. I did, when I was, we were, I can't remember what age I was. What year did um, Charlie and Di, Charles and Di get married? Was that 1990-something? What year was that? We did uh, Tenby in Wales for our holidays and I loved it. And we did a campsite and there was a swimming pool and there was a fantastic entertainment complex and pool tables and stuff. And it was great. That was the year that Charles and Diana got married. Um, we went over with the parents. Loved it, actually. Did love it. But never did it ourselves with our own kids. Never did a campsite. Tenby in Wales. If you've ever been to Tenby in Wales, it's a gorgeous place. 0818 96 96 96. There's nothing for it except supply and demand. That's why it's cheaper out of Gatwick. I did the prices this morning. So Gatwick to Malaga for three people. It would be three people if we were going. Gatwick to Malaga, three people, 530 euro return with EasyJet around the jazz weekend. Cork to Malaga with Aer Lingus, same dates, €1,597. Euro. And that's before you put a bag on the flipping plane. 0818 96 96 96, pure and simply supply and demand. It's the rules of business, ain't it? And don't be too panicking or too panicky about the, the bed bugs. Just be wary of them. I would, be, I would still be bringing disinfectant and washing myself in it. 0818 No, I'm sorry. I know I've done it now. There's people in cars and people in offices and people in kitchens and they're scratching at the thought. I'm scratching myself at the thought of bed bugs. They are. Go on, tell me you're not. You're, at, you're scratching, aren't you? Yes, yes you are. 0818 96, 96, 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. For fantastic quality and great taste guaranteed. Choose Griffin's Potatoes. Herpings and Roosters. Cork. 96 FM. We're partnering again today with the National Menopause Summit. Cork's 96 FM. Proud to be involved with that. It's on Friday, October 20th at Cork City Hall. Takes place during World Menopause Awareness Month. All the tickets and details at the nationalmenopausesummit.com. Nationalmenopausesummit.com. And all this week, celebrating fabulous women. All you have to do to win a little prize is tell me who this is. There's so many talented women out there who do a brilliant job, um, whether it's, there's just so many of them, I could name them, but I won't start. Fergal is picking these, and I'm caught this morning. He caught me yesterday with Veronica Gearing, and he's after catching me again this morning. I, there's so many talented women out there who do a brilliant job, um, whether it's, there's just so many of them, I could name them, but I won't start. No, I've no idea who that is. You tell me, though. Tell me who she is, and tell me who you are. 083 
3969696. Now, yesterday we were talking to Sir Brady from the Irish Prisons Reform Trust, and it was on the back of figures coming out of Cork Prison, where last Friday, 29th September, 10 people were sleeping on mattresses on the floors of their cells because the prison was overcrowded. And she revealed to me that the numbers seemed to have gone up over the weekend, so there was every prospect that on Monday or Tuesday night, even more people slept on a mattress on the floor of a cell at Cork Prison. The Irish Penal Reforms Trust wants that to end. The Irish Penal Reforms Trust does not believe anybody should ever have to sleep on a floor of a cell on a mattress in prison. Now, I put it to her, and Saoirse and I had quite a long conversation yesterday. Prison is supposed to be hard. And the victims of crime wouldn't really care about the person sleeping on the floor of the cell. Just here's a clip of what Saoirse had to say about that. I know you said, you know, about people going to prison, it isn't meant to be easy. Of course not. But at the same time, when people go to prison, prison is the punishment. The, you know, the deprivation of their liberty is the punishment. Um, And, you know, the conditions that people live in, nobody should be living in uh, inhuman and degrading uh, conditions like we're hearing about. Now, Dan was listening to Searsha talking to me, and then he called the opinion line. We had a very aggravated burglary in our house three years ago this month, and the perpetrator has ended up in, in prison. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't give a damn what he is sleeping on, if he's sleeping at all, because I know for a fact that my wife isn't sleeping and hasn't been for three years. My grandkids, who happened to be in the house that night when the burglary took place, they will never again stay in our house. That's where it started yesterday, with Saoirse and Dan responding. Dee, you were listening. Morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Whose side are you on here? <laughs> the homeless people. Okay. Talk to me. I'm sorry. They have, they always, always, poor them, they have a mattress to sleep on. What have the homeless people to sleep on? They haven't got a roof over their head. They've got a roof over their head. They've got heating. They've got food. They should be more than grateful. Yeah. The poor people out in the street have nothing. Who's, who's looking out for them? Yeah. Well, the Irish Penal Reforms Trust would say that oh. nobody should have to sleep on the floor of a cell. Oh, my heart bleeds for them. They're warm. They're dry. At least they have a mattress. Unfortunately, one time I was made homeless with my two-year-old son. Mm-hmm. But someone took pity on me and I was I was sleeping on the floor in one of their bedrooms yeah. on, on cushions off a chair. So I know what it's like. Yeah. But at least I had a roof over my head and I was warm. I didn't care where I slept. Yeah. Done the crime. Do you know what I mean? Do the crime, do the time, even if it is on the floor of a cell. Exactly. They're warm, they're dry, and they're getting fed. What more do you need? Yeah. Prison is overcrowded. I'm... So how would you solve that problem? <laughs> I have to what they used to do in the olden days, deport them. <laughs> no, sorry. That's not funny. No, 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 it's oh. not. But uh, look, you're you're talking to me about real life experience here. Like, what happened to you? Yeah. I, I moved to um, England to be with my son's father. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work out, and I came back. I didn't know where to live. How long ago was this? 
Oh, he was still got a long, 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 long time ago. He's grown up man now. <laughs> yeah, right. And one of the families said, uh, she, it was actually my old bedroom. I used to live with them. You could stay there until you get somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I was on the phone every night. And back then, you'd just say, oh, you had a child. Oh, sorry, no children, no children. Oh, I was on the paper every night, go through all the flats. No, yeah. sorry, no children. No children. So after a few weeks, it's said to me, you're not trying hard enough. And if you don't have anywhere by Thursday, we want you out. Right. So I didn't like, I was in despair. I didn't know what to do. Grab the child's hand and start to walk up the road. Bumped into someone. And they said, look, we have no room, but you can sleep on the, the bedroom floor. If that's in my daughter's bedroom floor. If that's not good enough. I said, anything? I sleep on the ground without anything? You're going around with your bag and baggage hanging to you like nothing. Yeah. So, and yeah, I had nothing on. That was on a Monday and by Thursday. What, what was I supposed to do? I know. How old was was your kid? It was only two then. Two. Two. And I was like, <laughs> the thoughts have been out in the street. Where was I going to go? Like, what time of the year was it? Not that it really matters, but... No, it was actually during the summer, but that's not the point. Yeah, of course not. You know, so I mean, the minute you walked your mouth back then, said you were the child, they wouldn't give you a place. That was weird, wasn't it? Yeah. What were you supposed to do? Actually, before I moved away, before I was pregnant, I got a flat. (laughs) The guy they showed it to me was kind of the guy that clicked to the rent, he wasn't the owner. And he said to me, "Uh, What about this? Like, you're going to be here long because we don't allow children. And I went, oh, no, no, it's only for a few weeks, I hope. (laughs) We don't allow children. Like, where are children supposed to live? Like, I ended up there and he was two and then moved back I moved to Scotland first and then London right. and when I moved back I, one night I said you know what I'll go and chance it and ask the landlord so I went down to him and he said look I have nothing at the moment but if I have something I'll give you a shout so right. luckily he trusted me and he gave me a flat in the end so it's not that there wasn't accommodation there was accommodation but no one oh, would take was, you because you had a child no because I had a child yeah do you mind me asking, Dee, how long ago this is? Um, he's 36 now, <laughs> ah, Right, so we're talking the 80s here. <laughs> yeah. Um, a more judgmental Ireland, admittedly. And I, oh, okay, totally. I imagine, and I'm going to... I imagine if you had a husband or partner with you, there wouldn't have been a question. Oh, no, there wouldn't have been no problem. So it was a woman with a child was the problem, not the child. A woman with a child, no sign of the father. Oh, totally, yeah, totally. I, I guess if it was a guy with a child, they probably would have got it. Yeah, that was the kind of Ireland <laughs> we were living in back then. A lot of people don't remember that, oh, but that was kidding. the kind of child we were oh, living God, in. Oh, it was then. a hard time for me. <laughs> yeah, there were, well, you know, man, you, you you managed to hold on to your boy. You didn't end up, you at did? least I hope, you didn't end up down in down in flipping Besborough or someplace like that. No, 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 God, yeah, no. Good, we eventually good. got this glass, and then we got a, a nicer one with a garden, and good. eventually I got a council house. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. But. That memory is—is oh, is that what is that what kind of shapes your feelings when you hear Saoirse say she's yeah. all caught up about the, and the prison reform shows, and not, not not personal, but she's the gaffer at the Irish Prison Reform Shows. They're all caught up because ten fellas, ten criminals are sleeping on mattresses on the floor. Aren't they lucky? Yeah. How many people in Cork are out this weather today and tonight? Yeah, that's true. And the other counties in Ireland, not just Cork. Does anyone? Does anybody take care of them? No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually sitting here and tears are pouring down my face. Well, well, I'm sorry if I caused that, but um, 
No, no, you didn't. It's yours to cause it. I was actually crying yesterday, but I couldn't bring in because I was all upset. Okay. Okay. You all right? Oh, yeah, that would be fine. Is it? Is it? <laughs> is it the memory? Is it the memory is upsetting you? Because it was the way my family treated me. Sorry, D. What did you say? <laughs> Sorry, there was the way my family treated me. Just family did it to me. I know. That's the horrible thing. It's, I, I, it's heartbreaking. Like it's heartbreaking, actually, the way you told the story. It was family gave you the bed when yeah. you came back. And yeah. it was family it was who threw you out. I used to live there. It was my, my bedroom, like. Your and when, bedroom. I, when I when they threw me out and it was empty, nobody was going into it. That's what killed me. Oh, my God. I wasn't, was this because you had a little boy? I think so. God. Did you ever talk to your family about it afterwards? Did you ever make up with them? Would you believe? Not till last year. No. Not till when? Because about two years ago, I finally sat down with them. Okay. And it was kind of, well, I don't remember that. And no, I don't. I wasn't any part of that. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. <laughs> so I tried. So I've just cut myself off now because there's no point to put myself through that. God. I'm sorry, I'm making this about me, no, it wasn't. No, hold on, no, it's me. fine. No, no, listen, you, you have a story to tell and I... I was hard times, but I fought back and I, I dragged myself back up. <laughs> you did, and well and done. I, I Fair did, pleasure. and I got a job when I came back to Douglas and eventually I got my own business. Yeah, you see. But I didn't do too badly. <laughs> <laughs> you did not. You did, yeah. <laughs> and and your your son, are you close now? He's he you says you're going. Oh in? my god, he's he's my my life. <laughs> I'd be lost without him. Does he got his he's own for, family. He's at, no, no, they're not having any children. <laughs> they like their life. <laughs> but the two of them have fantastic jobs. There's a beautiful house, beautiful cars. Nobody means they go on holidays when they want. Yeah, and I'm so happy for them. And I haven't the worry in the world about him. Isn't that great to say? Isn't that fantastic to say? Isn't it? <laughs> so I must have done a good job. <laughs> you, you've done an incredible job after what happened to you. And to remind listeners again of what happened to you, you had, you you went to England to try to find the father of your child. That didn't... No, we went to live with him. We you went to live with him, him okay. And that didn't yeah, work then, out. No, it did. When we were, But he had to get a job in London, so we went there. Oh, I got you, okay. And we moved there. And uh, then uh, things went pear shaped. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. It went. It didn't. It didn't work out in the end. And you no, came back home to your own bedroom. No, I came back and spent the first night in a B and B. Right. And I had that was the last of my money. <laughs> I see. And what to do then? You went to your home and said, "I'm back." I went. Went to my sister. She said, "Oh, look, you can come and stay with us. And you'll find a place." Yeah. And then threw me out. <laughs> I know you can laugh about it now, but I'm sure you cried, as as my mother-in-law used to say, you cried salty tears many a night. <laughs> I'm done with my crying over them. I seriously have. I've had counselling and everything else. And Well, you know what? And I'm going to say this now, and I don't, I, you might agree or disagree with me. Anyone who do that to you isn't worth crying over. No, not anymore. No. Yeah. I've said my piece to them now, and I said, look, Ball's in your court now. It's up to you what you want to do. Ah, but we don't remember. No. I mean, I'm home from surgery in April, as you know. Yeah. And 
Not one. Not either of them came near me. Oh, God. One just popped in. No, she didn't. I bumped into her in the supermarket. I see. I see. I see. It's that way. It's that way. It's that way. Uh, <laughs> and then I'd be in the wrong, like, if I if I said anything. Right. <laughs> so I just Listen, gave up. You know what? You're, you're, you're happy and full of life and full of vim and vigour now. Uh, D and it's great to hear. But thank you. But come back to where we started. This we've gone down I so know, many different I know, angles. I know, I know. You Sorry. don't give a tuppenny course about a fellow sleeping on a mattress in a prison. In no. no, he's warm. He's dry, and he's getting fed. All right. Thanks ever so much, D. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. To remind you, if you want to get in on this one, um, ten people and probably more last night or the night before slept on mattresses at Cork Prison. They're all convicted criminals. They've all done something. They're all sleeping, 10 of them sleeping on mattresses on the floor at Cork Prison. The Irish Penal Reforms Trust doesn't believe anybody should ever have to sleep on a mattress on a prison floor. Dan, who was a victim of crime, who rang me yesterday and said he doesn't care whether they're sleeping at all because of what happened to his family. And there's Dee. Her own particular experience, she couldn't care less because they're warm and they're dry and they're fed. Love your thoughts, please. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over thirty five years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. FM. Just wondering if the person from the Penal Reform Trust has ever had their house broken into. That was in from Terry. I didn't ask her that, but I don't know is the answer. I've no sympathy for prisoners sleeping on the floor. I mean, you do the crime, you do the time. Did they care about the people when they were committing the crimes? Feel free to read this text out. That's from Aaron. Ten people slept on mattresses in the prison. How many slept on trolleys in the hospital? People who haven't committed any crime. That's from Terry. And Mick says if they were up in Port Leash, the conditions would be a lot worse. They should be thankful for a sleeping bag or a mattress. Um, few people talking about Dee's story as well and how it resonates with them. Memories of that time, a very tough time back in Ireland to have to be a single mom with a small child. The 80s was a, a cruel and nasty time. I'd also love to hear from anyone who's been through prison and the process and what it's like to be there. Whether you spent three months or three years um, we're not interested in what you were there for just what it was like to be there and to the, the daytime, the routine. Is it comfortable? Is it uncomfortable? What are you looked after? How are you looked after? What's that mean? 083 396 96 John, 10 people sleeping on the floor. Have you an ounce of sympathy? Morning. Um, Sally, I think like most people listening out there, we've enough problems trying to get by ourselves like in the way the country is at the moment and ask for the waiting list and whatever and scandals. Um, I think there'd be very little sympathy from your rather large audience out there, PJ. Um, I was actually, when the new prison opened, I was saying to myself, how long will it take now, I wonder, now, before this thing is busting at the seams and we'll be back to square one with mattresses on the floor and here we are. Now, what I can't understand, as far as I know, the wrecking ball hasn't been brought in and demolished the old prison. So why can't the old prison take the spillover? Mm. Why is that not happening? It's not like staffed, I assume, John. Sorry? It's not staffed. Well, I mean, look, I mean, if you have to maybe 
dilute some of the staff or something in the new prison or, or make a new roster or whatever, or uh, if you have to go looking for, for new applicants for the job, so be it, but it's rather ridiculous. I mean, to have a state-of-the-art prison that we were told is the answer to everything. I know uh, it's busting at the seams, and you have the old prison just standing by, completely locked up, and why are people sleeping on mattresses on the floors? Now, the person from the DRS Penal Force, um, I would definitely sympathise with Dan because, like, I mean, trauma has been visited on that family, PJ. The grandchildren feel that their security is broken there in that home. Their grandparents home where they look forward to going. So, I mean, they have to live with that. I mean, these people can, can eventually come out of prison, get on with their lives, and unfortunately, some of them go back into crime again, mm. and they don't worry about the likes of Dan and his family. But Saoirse's argument that she was making, John, was that... You have to, if you treat people properly in prison, they're less likely to come out and reoffend. And she said there's research there to stack that up. And there are people who would argue that. Treat people properly in prison and they're less likely to, to reoffend when they come out. Well, there's, there's, there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, I don't believe, like, so the hanging flag and brigade, like, I mean, when you're going, you should get the cat and nine tails and bring all this stuff back. That's only going to brutalize people and you're going to come out harder, ten times harder than when you went in. Yeah. What, what should be done, and look, you covered the courts, PJ, for many years, and I even heard you referring to it just today. You've seen some of the same characters coming up again and again and again and again, and sometimes from the same family. You, I, I know Casey and Cork, I mean, so three of no, them, no names, John, please. No, 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 no names, but like, I mean, that the, the son like, asked the judge, could he go to another jurisdiction because his father was in Cork prison? Like, the thing is, how did they get to the state like where the father was involved in criminality and no one picked up and the son was coming up behind him and probably getting involved in misdemeanors, small stuff like petty stuff maybe, and no one says, hang on a second here, look, this guy could go down the same road as the father, like, so let's step in here. There is a chronic shortage, PJ, of social workers out there. There's a chronic shortage of people involved in rehabilitation because you're quite right. Look, if there are efforts made, look, you to turn some, somebody around. Otherwise, they're like, so the man Cahills, the Kinnahans, like, I mean, the monk, all these guys are going to keep coming. Yeah. If you don't address uh, at the very start, like, I mean, the core of the problem, like, I mean, where you see families are in trouble, and their social workers go in there, and they say get help, whether there's addiction problems, domestic violence problems, gambling problems, whatever. If you don't get in and try and help that family, look, the prisons are going to keep getting full, and people are still going to be sleeping on floors. Fair point. John, thank you. Excellent point. Well made. 0818969696. On sentencing, and we mentioned this yesterday, the length of sentencing and the bizarre nature of sentencing. And as I said, I did those years in the courts and I watched sentences and I watched judges handing down sentences. And I also watched barristers wringing their hands about how terrible a person's background had been. And now we know of Ace's theory where we have to take that background into account. Do you know, no 15, 16, 17-year-old walks in and assaults somebody in a shop or whatever just because they want to. It, it's come from something in their background. We get that. We get that. But at the same time, the, the, the victim of crime is who we always consider. But there was a case... And you see, this is how it looks on the paper. And I'm not blaming the echo here. But here's a story of a fella who got jailed for six months at Cork District Court after stealing Lego 
out of Smith's Toys. It happened on the 10th of September, so only a couple of weeks ago. Quick justice here. His name, not that it matters, his name was John McDonough with an address in Balbriggan in Dublin, but he was on a visit to Cork to see a friend and they went out drinking together. And then he went to Smith's Toys, Kinsale Road, and whipped 1,240 euros worth of Lego for big sets. So he came before Cork District Court. He pleaded guilty and Judge Olin Kelleher jailed him for six months. And he'd wonder, six months for stealing Lego? Yeah, because he had 176 previous convictions, including burglary, making off without paying for service and 17 different counts of theft. So he wasn't exactly a newbie. He was something of a frequent flyer in the courts. 0818969696 on prison and prisoners I said if anyone's been through the prison system I would like to talk to me about it and what it's like Bernie says I personally don't want to hear from any prisoners I want to hear from the people and the families they destroyed as many a person who'll never again sleep because of burglars breaking into their home and I remember being up at they have this pop-up restaurant project that they do in the prison where they, some of the prisoners learn to cook and they learn to serve and tend restaurant tables and things like that. They learn all those skills and sometimes they then manage to get jobs when they come out. And it's a great program. It's a program that should be supported. But I remember going up to, to be part of it, to be part of the, the day when the pop-up restaurant happened. And I asked the governor of the prisoner of the prison at the time, you know, what about the victims of these individuals? What about the people they hurt and the people whose lives they imposed upon and damaged? What about them? They might say, why are you teaching him to get a job? Why are you teaching him new skills after what he did to me? To which the governor and others said, well, we would hope that by teaching him something, by giving him a skill, by getting him out there into the workforce, into a job that he won't do it to anybody else. And I did talk to one of the prisoners who was on that programme. I'm not too sure where the audio is. I might try and pull it out for you and maybe play it tomorrow. I don't have it to hand today. But this guy had discovered catering and cooking and chefing in prison. And now he just wanted to get out there and work in that profession for the rest of his life. So there's, there's all that to be said for looking after people properly. But there isn't a lot of love in the room or I listened a lot of people care about the idea that someone was sleeping on a mattress last Friday or probably if the prison is still over overcrowded this morning no one really cares either that there's anyone sleeping on a mattress up there today on Dee's story God, when I took the call from Dee I wasn't expecting the story she told me about what happened with her and her little boy back in the 80s there was a lot of that back then um, well done to Dee. I have a similar story, not to be told now, but it, may, it made her stronger and a better relationship with her son is fantastic. I know mine is with my kids. I couldn't care less about the prisoners either. It won't do them any harm. And look, if it is a thing that whoever you are, you do want to tell me that story one day, then you know where I am. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, listening to D, it struck me how family isolation is rampant in Cork. This is from Tom. Families disown people or break up or just give up. I know a mother who never gets to see her grandchildren. They're 13 years old 
I know another case where the father has five kids and he's never been to see his parents since the day his wife died. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, and oh, sorry, I misread that, Tom. This is a man who's a father of five, and every sin, ever since the day his wife died, none of the five visit him. That is very sad. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Fox 96FM. Read out that story there about the guy who got six months for stealing Lego out of Smith's Toys. He pleaded guilty at Cork District Court to stealing four huge Lego sets with a total value of over 1,200 quid. Um, And Judge Olin Kelleher at the District Court jailed him for six months. He had 176 previous convictions. This was according to Sergeant John Kelleher, who was presenting the case at the court. But John said he had served time for his previous convictions, so they shouldn't be brought up. Well, I don't know what time he had served or hadn't served John, but part of anybody's sentence hearing or part of anybody's sentence processing is the court being told of their previous convictions because the reason for it, John, is it informs the judge and particularly in the district court, well, any court really, but when the judge is deciding what to do with this man who's stolen 1,200 quid's worth of Lego from Smith's Toys, what use is his 176 previous convictions? It informs the judge as to what needs to be done for him. And if he hadn't 176 previous convictions, then Judge Kelleher might just have told him to go about his business and behave himself and maybe find him or something. But when he heard about the 176 previous, including counts for burglary and theft, he put him away for six months. That's kind of how it works. But your point is... Is welcome, John. Thank you. Uh, prisons are apparently full, and yet we have a fully qualified, very highly educated secondary school teacher in prison for standing up for his religious beliefs. I believe you're referring to Mr. Burke, a certain Mr. Burke, of which the less said, the better. And I will say that his religious beliefs ceased to be part of this problem a long time ago. He's not in jail because he stood up for his religious beliefs at all, but. He does have support, does Enoch Burke? He does, to be fair. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Connor has been listening to this discussion on uh, prisoners. If you're just falling in uh, after missing the first hour, that's okay. It's a bad morning. We'll excuse you. But I just returned to how we set this up. Yesterday, I was talking to Saoirse Brady from the Irish Prisons Reform Trust about the fact that there were 10 people sleeping on mattresses in Cork Prison, sleeping on the floor of cells on mattresses because the prison is overcrowded. And I said to her, well, look, you know, prison is supposed to be hard, isn't it? And here's what she said. I know you said, you know, about people going to prison, it isn't meant to be easy. Of course not. But at the same time, 
when people go to prison, prison is the punishment. The you know the deprivation of their liberty is the punishment, um, and you know it, the conditions that people live in. Nobody should be living in uh, inhuman and degrading uh, conditions like we're hearing about. The Den had an immediate response to Sirius's point of view came from Dan. We had a very aggravated burglary in our house three years ago this month and the perpetrator has ended up in, in prison. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't give a damn what he is sleeping on, if he's sleeping at all, because I know for a fact that my wife isn't sleeping and hasn't been for three years. My grandkids, who happened to be in the house that night when the burglary took place, they will never again stay in our house. So, Connor, that's what drove this conversation this morning. Not a lot of sympathy for prisoners. What would you like to say? Good morning. Hi, good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Um, I suppose, from my point of view, I was just picking up midway through what you were saying there a while ago, and there was... um, there was a quote from a TV show came to mind that uh, I saw some of your listeners will know. It's a society goes great when grown men plant trees the shade of which they never sit in. So what that came to me was, as a society, I think that we're very... And I suppose, look, I should say, obviously, I don't have I don't have experience where I've been affected by someone that really saw the burglary or anything like that. And I also don't have uh, people who have been in prison and things like that. Okay. So I do sympathise with victims. Of course I do. But do I, I agree with a previous caller that was saying that we do need to help people. We don't know people's circumstances. We don't know the, the individuals who are sleeping on the mattresses and we don't know what they have gone through in their lives. And we need to, you know... Uh, forgiveness is a very hard thing and I appreciate that and again to reiterate I wasn't someone who has been affected so it's mm-hmm. probably easy for me to say you, you've not been but affected by a serious crime or anyone close to you I, no? I haven't to be no. honest and I suppose it's and you've not done time either no? no no I haven't no okay. but I suppose and again it, it might be very easy for me to say but I, I suppose the general theme that I've been hearing coming through your show is very much we don't really care you know I don't care what, what happens inside prisons because they deserve it to a certain extent and I just think that's a very it's a very sad way to kind of look at a society that we were, were so quick and, and like I say if you know if people have perpetrators of, of things against them and they know that that individual person is feeling a certain way and that gives them comfort then you know that might be fair enough but again we don't know the people uh, who are sleeping on the floor and we don't know what they've been through in their lives and we don't know the circumstances that have led to them to do what they have done you know mm. um i suppose for me it was just it's not trying to give a, a different perspective for the sake of a different perspective but no. it's more that you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm too too on the fence. I don't know. Um, no, I, I, um, I see where you're coming from because, or, and I was struggling with this a little bit yesterday because over the years I've spoken to people who've been in prison. I visited prison for projects that were going on there and spoken to experts, people who far far more about this than I do. And, yeah, people end up in prison a lot of the time because of the situation in which they grew up. That's a fact. Yeah. That is a fact. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, who? what are prisons for? Like, they are, nobody wants to be in prison and nobody would like to, 
nobody wakes up in the morning and say, oh, geez, I'd love to experience that, you know. It's, the, the system has to be there to be able to allow, to get, not allow, I suppose, to be able to put people in a place that they can come out in a better place in their lives so that they can contribute to society. No, we've all we've all seen shows on TV and crime is, is a, such a massive subject now that, you know, you, there's this tendency to believe that people, they may be past the point of rehabilitation or they, they can't get better. And there, there's different places for them, of course, you know. But, you know, it has to be a place where you can show people, like teach people skills. Like I've worked in hospitality for years and I know how accessible that is as a skill. And your last yeah. call, uh, you were mentioning yourselves about people, you speaking to people that they've they've learned culinary skills and they've learned that's catering. Right. And that's, that's right. been able to help them come out the other side, you know. So whereas, I mean, look, I will say if somebody has to sleep on a mattress one night in a prison, is it really the end of the world? Probably not. But like, I don't think that's also fair to say that, oh, she'll leave them off. Like, where does it end then? Mm. Do you know, where does it end for people in prison that when it gets more over, if, if we have this mentality that it should be hard and it's grand, you know, at what point then do we say, oh, yeah, maybe that's too hard. Right. No, maybe you should, maybe, maybe. Sirius's view was that the deprivation, the loss of your liberty is the punishment. 100%. 100%. 100%. And like, you've already. And of course, like we should say that people obviously deserve to be there. The justice system is there and it's not just anybody in there. And they've they've made they've done things wrong and they've committed crimes to justify them being in there. But it's a case of what do we want? You know, do we want to put someone in six months, have them, you know, no rights, you know, no, you know, being fed, you know, under power food and you know, sleeping on the floor what are they going to feel when they come out? You know, it's going to be straight back to, so that, so that was like, I, I have no, I have no sense of, of purpose. I have no sense of, of anything. If, in fact, it's probably less than when I went in, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. was making that point that the, re, the research yeah. is there that if you treat people yeah. well in prison, that they will come out and the left cha- less chance of going in again, and and that research is there. Connor, thank you. Uh, the other perspective, uh, you know, we don't know anybody's story who ends up there. Appreciate the call, Connor. Thank you. We don't, we don't know anybody's story who ends up in in a prison cell for, for any particular length of time. Like even the guy who broke into Dan's house, frightened the living life out of himself and his wife. We don't know his story either because he has a story. A story, not an excuse. There's the difference. The story is not an excuse. Frank, you wanted to get in on this one. Morning. Morning, Peter. How are you? Good. What do you want to say, sir? Well, a story is an excuse when you get to court, really, isn't it? Because it's just everything, every case that you think the story was put down as what the excuse for doing it was. Yeah. yeah. You know? I, I, yeah. But, but I mean, at the end of the day, there is no prisoner in Ireland sleeping on the floor. Let's get that myth out of the way straight away. A bed frame doesn't constitute a bed. A mattress is a bed. Right. Well, they have you mattresses know? on the floor, yeah. Exactly. But I mean, PJ, you don't need... I mean, yeah, somebody mentioned a trolley. A trolley is, is a 100% less comfortable than a mattress. Yeah. Because there's barely a mattress on it. Now, first of all, I hope their memory phone mass- and mattresses so they can remember the hurt that they've caused in every single crime. Mm. 
I know I'd love to see like that lady that was on with GS and opened the penal trust. Her statistics about treating them better and they won't reoffend. Now I think the percentage in Ireland is about I know it's not statistics that I know of for a fact, but I think about sixty, seventy percent of prisoners are reoffenders. Mm-hmm. It's quite a high no, number. I don't know what it is. It is a high number. And I mean, so that means they're not all sleeping on mattresses. They're not. A, they have the, somebody said they're horrible food. Their menu has to be changed every mm-hmm. 28 days. It can't be repeated. They're treated bloody good in Irish prisons. And mm-hmm. they're still, still reoffending. All the time. I mean, you're, I mean, you go up to, you, when I say you go up, you spend half your life up there. And it's repeat, 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 up to the hundreds and still getting free legal aid, like. The courts, yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, I, and as the, I said this, I'll just get out, I missed it yesterday. I did, I did 12 to 14 years and court was, was part of my job and I would attend the, the civil set, the criminal sessions locally for weeks at a time. And yes, you'd get the list sent to you of what's coming up. And that, oh, <laughs> there's a frequent flyer, there's a frequent, you, not you, him you, again. You, you know. but, yeah, but they know they know him by name at this stage. You do, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, but I mean, I mean, PJ, this penal reform trust, we'll say, no, that lady that was on, an NGO, fully funded probably by the government, to the nth degree, and then you had who I think is one of Cork's finest ladies, Sally O'Hanlon. Yeah, absolutely. Sally O'Hanlon, and she probably on her knees at City Hall begging to get a new chair or table or something like yeah, you know, true. I mean, if there was a zombie apocalypse tomorrow, there'd be an NGO for zombie rights. <laughs> you know? There Actually, was, Frank, I, now that you say, yesterday, yesterday was supposed to be the zombie apocalypse. Somebody was supposed to press a button, I think it was Bill Gates, well, somebody was supposed to press a button yesterday uh, to yeah, turn us all into zombies. Did you not read that in the paper? Ah, uh, 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 yeah, but I mean... Bill Gates, their, their time difference, no, it's not, I haven't come here yet, you see. <laughs> but PJ, I was just thinking there, that chap who, who was done yesterday, no, for the Lego. So he can build his own bed. <laughs> One you mess her, Frank, thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Yeah. I'm with Dan on this. I'm with Dan, I'm with the victims. I'm always thinking of the victims and what they were put through. You will go into court and you'll hear the case being made in mitigation to the judge as to what the convicted person went through in their life. And it's used by barristers to mitigate it with a judge and say, look, judge, my client has had a terrible problem with addiction. His family broke up. He was homeless. This, this, this and this. And all these things are taken into account when the judge is passing sentence. Does it mean that he needs to sleep on a mattress on a cell floor and that that's what he deserves? It's hard to know, isn't it? 0818969696. Happy to stay with this, by the way. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 certainly has us engaged this one uh, mattresses on the floor of a cell that's the bed for some prisoner last night last Friday it was 10 possibility that it happened last night 
at Cork Prison that uh, some prisoners had to sleep on a mattress on the floor of a cell. The Irish Penal Reform Trust believes it should never happen, that it's cruel and inhuman and all of these things, whereas the victims of crime really don't care either way. In fact, the harder, the better for them, for the, for the life of the prisoner. Michael, morning. PJ, good morning. Yeah, you certainly have stirred up an interesting conversation and discussion here on this matter, which I think is very welcome and, and uh, is something that we actually need because I, I do believe, as we have discussed in the past, that the more discussion we have on this, the more the situation is highlighted. But let us, let us go back to the beginning here and start and say, look, anybody who is in prison, they are there because of their own actions. Yeah. That's the first thing. So they, they have made a decision to break the law for whatever reason. So that is the first thing. They are there because of their own actions. Now, in relation, there's a lot of emphasis on, on, on uh, sleeping on a mattress. Well, at least they have a mattress. Let's, let's look at this objectively. There are many people sleeping on mattresses in houses around the country for various reasons. Uh, people who cannot find proper accommodation, people cannot, uh, whatever. So they, they're happy to, to have a mattress. So mm-hmm. as, as one of your earlier callers said, these people have a, have a mattress and they have uh, three meals a day provided and fairly substantial meals also. Now, this lady, Saoirse Brady, has made some comments from the Irish Penal Reform, uh, you know, about inhumane and degrading. But what about the, the 90-year-old lady up in St. Luke's, a 93-year-old lady walking down to the post office to, to collect her pension when these two guys punched her and beat her and kicked her to the ground and stole her purse. Would that not be considered inhumane and degrading for that poor lady? Mm-hmm. And we've heard very little about her since. We don't know if that lady has ever recovered from the trauma of that mm-hmm. barbaric well, behaviour. Dan's, Dan's so, wife so clearly back, hasn't. We are back again to... Uh, it is the behaviour of these individuals. And, and let's go back to basics. We, we heard the politicians talk a lot recently of democracy and the rule of law. Now, we all know that for democracy to succeed, the rule of law must be respected. Mm-hmm. Now, let us look at what has been happening at this country in the past number of years. There is no respect or respect for or fear of the law. We have young people behaving in outrageous manner, stealing cars, driving them around, knocking people down. We have people breaking into houses. They no longer fear the law. Mm -hmm. They no longer respect the law. Now, what follows after that? What follows after that, PJ, is something like what we saw, and we all agree, we do not agree with this behavior, but what we saw outside the door recently was the brink of anarchy. Mm. And if there is a breakdown in democracy, if there is a breakdown in the rule of law, we are going to face anarchy. And where is it going to go? You know, sooner or later, housing estates, individual groups, will be forced to come together to protect themselves and their property. Because more and more properties have been broken into. Mm. And sooner or later, people will have to do what they did hundreds of years ago, before our democracy was formed, come together to protect themselves from these people. And what is happening now, one of the reasons these people do not fear or respect the law is because they know once they're caught, Mm. they can then turn to the law to protect them. We give them the free legal aid. 
We ensure they're provided with all sorts of facilities, not only facilities in, in the prisons, we facilitate them with education. Now, a former member of Angara Shikana told me recently that there is a very, I wish to use the term, well-known criminal who was in prison at one stage and was attending university and refused to leave the prison until he finished his, his, uh, his course in the university. And that particular person was learning Russian and Arabic, which apparently he has put to good use since he left the prison. So what we are doing, we are educating criminals so they can become more competent and more efficient. Or maybe, Michael, to be fair, maybe we educate them like the young people that I met last week or last year during the restaurant programme up there. Maybe we're educating them for the job opportunity or the career opportunity they never had. Well, you see, there again, PJ, somebody along the line will have to make some decisions on the different types of prisoner and the different types of offender. Mm-hmm. offender as against the type of criminal, hardened criminals. We have hardened criminals, uh, sex offenders and those people, that's one. But then you have the, the, the minor offenders, and like, like one of your callers said, we need more uh, people to deal with the younger offenders when they, before they become hardened criminals. Indeed. What would you okay. do in terms of the mattresses on the floor? I know that you have some fairly strident views on where prisoners should be put. Michael. Well, well I, 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 I genuinely believe, you know, when I'm talking about the hardened criminals now. These guys who are basically, and whether we like it or not, who are running our prisons. There are the hardcore in there who are running our prisons. Now, for me, those people should not be in the normal prison system. We should establish separate prisons for those people on isolated islands off the west coast of our country. Those hardened criminals, and I, we won't mention names, so we all read about them, the way they behave in the prison. They take over wings of the prisons, and the prison guards have to pander to them. Those people should not be kept in the regular prison system because they are infecting, if I use the term, the normal prisoners, the people who would be in there for, for minor offences. But we, sh- we should isolate them. And they should not be allowed to dictate what they wear, when they wear. They should not be allowed to dictate. They should not be allowed to send out for specific foods. We have a commissary up there, apparently, in the prison where they can order whatever they want. I mean, what is this? It's like a four-star hotel. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we, we need to, instead of uh, following the guidance of, of people like... Uh, in the Irish prison reform system, we need to go back to basics and we'll put prison into... Now, again, again, I am differentiating the hardened criminal from the the other... Yeah, more, if you petty know, criminals, one, shall we a, say. A serious offender. Yeah. You're saying we, career criminals. Or serious offenders. They need to be locked up in a place where, like the maximum security prisons they have in the United States, lock them up. No, no prison visits. No families being... being taken by taxi at taxpayers' expense because we, you and I, we are all paying for this. And like, who who has decided on the softly softly approach with prisoners? Who decided that? We, mm-hmm. are the, we are the people paying the bill. The taxpayers, nobody asked us if we should treat prisoners with, criminals with kid gloves. Why should they be allowed murderers? Why should they be allowed uh, all these sorts of appeals? Give them one or two appeals. But now when they've finished all the appeals in Ireland, they go to Europe and we pay for it. Yeah. I wasn't. I, mean, I wouldn't go into too much detail okay, now. I'm not but, going to say but, where uh, this but again, is. Michael. I think no, the no. problem is there are a small group of people making decisions mm. without reference to the taxpayer and without working in the interest of the taxpayer, because that comes down to the bottom line. Yeah. Who is working in the interest of the normal person? Who? And look, we now from your talks on your show now, I am one of them. I will not walk the streets of Cork. I sent this to Michal Martin. I will not walk the streets of Cork. 
at the, after dark. There are elderly people who will not walk the streets during the day. There are elderly people who will not go out of their home because they're terrified. Yeah. And what are the politicians doing? They are the people who pass the laws. So who makes the decisions? Who is pulling the strings yeah. to protect to protect the law-abiding citizens from what's going on? Isn't that the truth? Michael, thank you. No, I was about to say there's a, there's a case that I know of, and I can't say a whole lot about it, of an individual who gets a delivery of cream cakes every day, or at least was up to a number of years ago. See? Right, Councillor Poddy Deneen has contacted the show. Poddy, you're glad we brought this subject up. Good morning. I am, Peter. I am indeed. And uh, thank you for having me on. And I, I think Peter is right. That there, there needs to be a, a discussion on this subject without doubt. I mean, a serious discussion at um, at government level about, about the justice system that, that we're living with at the moment. Yeah, like you have the Penal Reform Trust say that nobody should have to sleep on a mattress on the floor of a cell. They also say, by the way, that prison should be a last resort. And if prison was a last resort, you wouldn't have a situation where people are sleeping on a mattress on the floor of a cell. Yes, well, a lot of people will say a lot of things, PJ. But unfortunately, what we have here is we have a justice system that does not um, give, does, does not that hand on justice enough that will satisfy the victims of of the crimes that are being committed. And this is where I think our issue starts initially in the courts, where, where you have perpetrators going into court and they're walking out the door, giving the finger to the justice system, giving the finger to the guardie, giving the finger to us, the taxpayer, who pay for everything. Mm-hmm. And I think oh, that's where we need to be looking at to, at the end of the day. Yeah. Suspended sentences and the little smirk on the way out. I've seen it. Exactly, exactly. And uh, no retribution, no compensation for the victim whatsoever. And I know people are saying there about people on mattresses in the prisons. However, there are many victims of crime who are on trolleys in the CUH and many hospitals in the country. And there's not a word about that. Yeah. And we have to look at that. We have to take it in perspective. And um, it's, 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 it's just the way it is. And as, as Peter said, they have put themselves into that position and they've got themselves into, that, in, into, into prison. And they have no one to, to thank or blame only themselves. Yeah, you put yourself there by your own actions. How- Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, 
relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Yes. Uh, yeah, there are those who are also opposed to them being educated in the prison uh, and <clears throat> the ta- spending of taxpayers' money on that. But maybe that will get them an opportunity to pull. Like, should prison not also be an opportunity, party to get your life straight, to fix what's broken in your life if the opportunity is there to do that? Yes, I would agree with that. I, I would agree with reform and rehabilitation without doubt. Um, but, but again, in that situation, it's, it's like an addiction you have to have to be willing to cooperate and engage with the system and, and come out and prove the system to be to, to be the right thing to do then. But in a lot of cases, they come out, they repeat, they, 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 they re- offend repeatedly and yeah. it, it doesn't work. And they, and they use the system then as the excuse as they're doing this, they're doing that. They give the sub story that we're working on this, we're working on that. And the judge lets them work free. And yeah. and that's and that's where we need to to go back to. And I I firmly believe that. Like, and I'm not speaking on behalf of the Gardaí here, but I think the Gardaí do a great job. They do mm-hmm. their best to mm-hmm. get to get the criminals to court, and then the criminals are walking out the door. Body, I've I seen think it that myself. So it's happening. I've seen it myself, and and I've spoken yeah. to those guards in my time in the courts, and and I saw, as I said, the little smirk as you go out the yeah. door. And it, it's so it's happening for the Gardaí. It's it, and you know that yeah. that. They're trying to do a job that they can't, that they cannot fulfil, oh, yeah. guards because of a system that's guards broken. Just looking at the floor, going, "Why did I bother my arse? Do you yes. know, literally. I, I would think that that would be the case. Yes, and I've I've spoken to them. But, you know, some of them retired now, but at the time when I was doing the courts, and you'd see these little scrolls, and they're getting suspended sentences after someone made a good case for them, and the guard is just there at the back of the back of the court, just shaking his head, going, "For God's sake," you know? Yeah. That's it, and 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 they're and they're availing of free legal aid. I, I sent in a text about that there as well. I think yeah. another thing we need to our free legal aid system needs to be reformed. Yeah, as well. the it thing. certainly come, needs to be looked at. Come back at. to the case, and I'm not I don't want to single this fella out, but I have the story in front of me of the guy who was jailed for six months there for stealing a thousand euro worth of Lego. Now he had 176 <coughs> previous convictions, um, and I, I am assuming I don't know. But that he was on free legal aid. But after 176 previous convictions, should he still be able to get free legal aid? I don't believe he should. I I, I think there should be a three strike rule. You you get you get the benefits of free legal aid on three attempts. Yeah, and that's it. And if if you haven't learned by then, that's it. You're on your own. Uh-huh. You're certainly on your own, and or you pay for it yourself. You know. All right, Paddy, leave it there. Thank you, Councillor Paddy Deneen. There's an interesting. Just another angle to the discussion. Free legal aid. Uh, Career criminals. Career criminals get free legal aid. Should they? Hardy reckons after three times in front of the court, three convictions, three sentences, whatever. Free legal aid? Go on that now, boy. You're on your own. Should we limit the amount of free legal aid? 0818969696. Answer me a question, says Kevin. What country has the best outcome in terms of prisoner reform? I'm guessing it's not us, says, says Kevin. We're spending good money to provide a revolving door. What are the successful countries doing?
Morning, PJ. A happy prisoner is a quiet prisoner who won't cause problems for the prison officers. Take something away from them and the prisoner will cause havoc. Fair point. Uh, John says with regard to people on trolleys, uh, the idea that there's, you know, a trolley's less comfortable, that's the fault of the government and the HSE. And on the cream cakes, I know this happened. I cannot tell you how I know, but I know it happened. Someone says I would check those cream cakes for hash. It's a notorious route for smuggling. Mm, 0818 96 96 96. A lot of people agreeing with Michael as well, saying he spoke a lot of sense. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz 96 FM. The Big Drive Home with Izzy Showbizzy. On Courts 96 FM. Join me weekdays from 4 p.m. for more incredibly cute voice notes. I'll keep you company no matter what you're doing. Is he house recording girl? Is there any chance you can play the new song Thank you. And I'll take more show ideas, please, especially if they include my puppy. I have a great idea for a show. If you are in Sassy, we can get a Simpsons vibe going on. The Izzy and Sassy show. Get it? Join me weekdays from 4 p.m. The Big Drive Home. With Clonakilty Food Company. Be prepared for any mealtime with Clonakilty's delicious sausages, rashes, and puddings. Clonakilty, a family of great tastes. Hawks 96 FM. 96 FM. Premier League Live back this weekend on 96fm.ie. It's a busy day for Trevor and the team this Saturday for midday, powered by Talk Sport. They have Luton against Spurs. At Hapras 12, Man U versus Brentford at 3 and Crystal Palace against Nottingham Forest at half 5. Premier League Live Online, of course, brought to you by Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You're listening Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Now, back to prison. There's loads of comments in and I'll get to as many as I can of them. For the snowflakes out there saying we don't know the reason they're in prison. Well, it's called committing crimes. True? True. Morning PJ, a happy prisoner is a quiet prisoner. Okay. Uh, there's lots more. On the topic of prison service, I originally come from South Africa. I've been here many years now. I don't wish to run down South Africa, but our house was broken into four times in one year. Thankfully, there was nobody there. During one of the break-ins, they turned on every tap in the house. Just pure destruction. Turned all the furniture upside down. The thought of someone being in your home, going through your personal belongings is awful. If you wish to read this message out, please don't read out my name. Thank you. No problem with that. Now, Mick, you wanted to get in on this one. Good morning. Good morning. I, I, was, I was listening to your, your programme there. The, the, not the last one, no, but the time before, the, the man before that, yeah, he was saying that uh, he can't walk the street, he wouldn't walk the streets no more, and there's no old people would be able to walk the streets. In this Cork. is Michael. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, he was saying that um, Michal Martin would want to do something. Michal Martin can't do nothing unless the, the civil servants agree with it. They mm. run the country. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, they're only figureheads. You've got a, you've got a great councillor coming up and he gets a, a ticket and he goes into the, the dial with you. But he's putting his face before he goes in there. You can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this by the party that he's working for. You're, you not, you're, not, you're not wrong, Mick. You know, a lot of yeah. fellas who were very vocal 
in their yeah. council chamber days have gone on to become TDs and they've gone surprisingly quiet when they go in there. Yeah. Because the, 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 what you call it, the, the people that run the country is them, what, what did they say the word it was again? The civil servants. Yeah. Civil servants. The civil servants run the country. You can just take imagine, you know, like, you're, I remember when I was a young fellow, right, and we were playing ball, and we'd see a guard about 100 yards away, maybe more. We'd have to pick up the ball and run away. You understand me? That was only playing ball then, like, you know what I mean? They can do what they like, no. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can do what they like. Yeah. You know, but like I said, since the civil service from the country and me hall masters, they're, they're on y'all figureheads now. Do you understand me? I do. Like, do you remember that program there that was on the television? The English, I think it was on BBC. Yes, Minister. I do, do of course. Yeah, brilliant show. The exact, the exact same as that now. <laughs> Home free. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, yeah. But Mick, come back to the topic at hand. Come back to what we're talking about and prison. Like, do you care that? maybe 10 or 12 people last night were sleeping on mattresses on the floor of their cells. Do you care? Not a bit in the world. That's why they were like kid gloves, man. Kid mm. gloves. You know what I mean? What's why, your, what? why wouldn't they go back into prison? Why wouldn't they go back into prison? Mm. You know what I mean? They, 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 some prison is better than home. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Would you, you know? accept, though, that, look, losing your liberty? I mean, you and I, with the freedom to go out as we want and come and go as we please, when you go into prison... In the law. Yeah. You understand me? I if do. You don't, if you don't face the law, you can do what you like. You know what I mean? But if you don't face the law, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, know, I know when I have all the angels, and I know what that's like. But you know what I'm coming from, like. Okay. Yeah. I do, I do. So you, you don't, you don't, you're not at all concerned about anybody who... And, uh, definitely not. Definitely not. De- I tell you this for sure, there's too many do-gooders in the country at the moment. All right. Mike, or Mike rather, thank you very much. Uh, tomorrow we'll be talking to Mike. Mike is an ex-prisoner who has turned his life around now after a spell in prison. And that does happen. And... I've met people, spoken to people, read the research. Sometimes in prison, people find an opportunity. Sometimes in prison, people do something. It starts to just pass the time. And before you know it, they've actually got a career on the outside when they get out. So I look forward to talking to Mike tomorrow, who former prisoner. Kevin has sent in a voice note. You can do that anytime you want, of course, 083 396 Here's Kevin's voice note on the state of play in our prisons. The system is all an entire joke and all those people are cash cows, the tax-paying cash cows. Every time you see three and 400 previous convictions in and out of court, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them all over Ireland, thousands of them all over Ireland. And every single one of them, the taxpayer is paying for three and 400 previous convictions. That's three and 400 times they've been in and out of court and the taxpayers had to pay for their free legal aid every single time and there's people being locked up for stupid reasons like smoking freaking cannabis you know what i mean a, a, a harmless a harmless smoke and and they're locked in up for it whereas these people are being freaking told they're in and out of court three four hundred times for all sorts of things robbery and freaking violence and all sorts no bother for them you know three and four hundred times we we'll get them again next week we we'll get them again next week cash cows milking it thank you kevin that kevin makes that point again about free legal aid um the free legal aid system, whether you have, whether it's your first offence 
or your 101st offence or your 101st conviction, you can get free legal aid, should you be able to. Now, constitutionally, you're entitled to the best defence that you can get. And if you can't afford it, then it's the duty of the state to provide you with it. That is true. That is your right. But, you know, 0818 96 96 96. Here's something completely left of field that came in this morning. And I have to say, do you know when someone sends me in a comment here that is not on the agenda, not on the plan for the day, but it certainly makes me think. So Tim says, I bought something on my debit card and the debit was taken immediately. I returned something using the same card and I was told, that's fine now, that's no problem. The money will be in your account in three working days. Now that's going on. Now what's going on there? Yeah, Frank, you're, sorry, Tim, you're right. You're right. If you go in to town today, walk down Patrick Street, buy a pair of shoes and pay for it with your card, the money goes out of your bank almost instantly. Money's gone off your account. You'll see it in your bank account in a couple of minutes. Gone. 100 quid for shoes. If you go home and the shoes aren't up to scratch, shall we say, you go back in, you show them to the assistant. Oh, God, I'm so sorry about that. Give me your card. Bang, bang, bang. Your money, your money will be back in your account in three days. That's true. That's true, Tim. This is a pain in the ass. Thanks for that. 0818 96 96 96. It's probably down to do with banking not being as easy from their side. I don't know. But thank you, Tim. Thank you. We were also talking earlier in the week about excellent customer service. Is there a place in Cork that did a super job for you, that went over and above the call of duty just to make something better for you, to make it, you know, to make your day just because they could. Paul sent this in. I must say, the discount uh, chemist in Valencolic was fantastic. My wife's ovarian cancer and I've got skin cancer. And to get help, we're going on to Tenerife next week and she gave us all the help that we needed. It was fantastic. She went over and above. It was fantastic. That's lovely to hear that, Paul. Thank you. I've not been to that chemist yet, but I'm told it's a great spot. Great place altogether. 0818 96 96 96. Jamie, I'm going to read this out because it's sitting there. I didn't see the match you're talking about, so I don't know. But in the context of this VAR stuff that's going on between Spurs and Liverpool, and I mentioned it yesterday, they need to get rugby people to sit down and teach them how to use VAR. Because at least in rugby, we tend to get it right. Although, I'd be interested in your opinion on the new TMO rules, says Jamie. It was all for it until I saw something in the game between South Africa and Tonga. I didn't see the match. I did hear there was controversy over the incident, but I'd be wrong to comment on the incident because I didn't actually see it. But thanks for that, Jamie. But I will say this, the, the, the TMO that sorts out these questions in rugby... They seem to get it right an awful lot more than the VAR people get it right in the world of soccer. 0818 96 96 96. If question on free legal aid. I don't know the answer to this. I'm sure there was an answer at the time. If I went to look back, I'd probably find it. 
If free legal aid is means tested, how did Paul Murphy get it for the Jobstown case? I know he did and I can't remember how. Thank you for that. Jerry says, look at how much the government paid out in slopping out compensation. That was because of Europe backing up what that last man, Mick, said. Also, it was 2.3 million in payments to prisoners. How come the government was able to find that money, but there's never any money to help the victims? See what's going on. All the NGOs, and it's all Europe. Just like that man said, I do remember the, the slapping out case, the slapping out compensation. I have to say this, I, I don't, whatever about people sleeping on a mattress on the floor. That might be defensible in some way. But no, slapping out, no. Not in 2023. No one should have to slap out. In the early 80s, there was a well-known Cork character. Every December, he'd commit a crime. He wouldn't hurt anybody. He'd just commit a crime. He'd break a window maybe and roach his doors just so he'd get three months in jail. <laughs> and he'd be in there nice and warm and well-fed for the winter. Oh, thank you. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. For fantastic quality and great taste guaranteed. Choose Griffin's Potatoes. Herpings and Roosters. Cork. 96 FM. The lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Yeah, someone come back in there to be on that um, VAR. TMO rule IFAB IFAB the refereeing body has said there will be no change in the process they're going with the allowance of human error I know they are I know they are Um, I'd still think that VAR would benefit from one thing that happens in rugby in that particularly if it's the question of a goal say the on-field decision the, the ref will say when he's calling in the TMO the on-field decision is try or the on-field decision is no try and then it's up to the TMO to look at the various different angles and sides of the pitcher and and make a decision based on that Um, but yeah VR doesn't seem to be half as and, and the match stops the game stops until the decision's actually made I think VAR could benefit from that. Thank you, though. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, You had a listener texting about the difference in speed between taking money off a card and putting the money back on a card. Yeah, he's dead right. I've gone back to using as much cash as possible 
Refunds happen then at the refunds counter and you save a lot in charges. The e-payment dream is turning sour. Cash is king. That was somebody who questioned why if you buy something, the money goes out of your card immediately. But when you come back in and refund it, it can take a few working days to get the money back. That's true. I don't know why that is. If anybody's in business and knows why that is, then maybe you could tell us. I may have something to do. It may have something to do with the fact that it's at the end of the day they download or upload or whatever way you load the terminals so that your transaction to refund your money goes to the bank at the end of the day and then is processed overnight. I don't know. I don't know. But that's... If anyone does know, then you can tell us at 0818 96 96 96. Now, I can, if you want... Come back to prisons and prisoners. Indeed, tomorrow we'll talk to Mike, who's an ex-prisoner who reformed his ways, and we'll get his perspective on the whole discussion which has dominated the first two hours of the programme this morning. But uh, it's that time of year again when people go back to watching the telly. I'm back watching the telly. There's some really good stuff on at the moment. Um, documentary dropped last night that has huge interest in it. This is a four-part Beckham documentary, David Beckham documentary, which has dropped on Netflix. Among the talking points about this documentary, it is the first time that uh, Posh and Bex, David and Victoria, have talked about his alleged affair. Do you remember? God, it was a hundred years ago now. Do you remember his alleged affair with Rebecca Luce? Was she a nanny or who was she? Uh, anyway, that alleged affair with Rebecca Luce from, from way back. That's kind of the, the big talking point of this uh, documentary on on Netflix. Where's that Where's that gone from me now? I had it. Ah, here it is. Tonight we bring you the story of how David Beckham became a global phenomenon. I never really did well at school because all I ever wanted to do was play football. My manager kept saying, try and keep it under wraps. So we would meet in car parks and that's not as CV as it sounds. Classy. I suppose that most blokes have looked at the television and said, like, uh, don't fucking end up with them. My life had become something different. We were worried that he'd lose all what he'd worked for. Because football come first and all of a sudden it wasn't. It definitely didn't change me. We changed. There's no doubt about that. It's a red card for David Beckham. I don't think I've ever talked about it just because I can't. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. It took a toll on me that I never even knew myself. Ferguson admitted he had kicked the boot accidentally striking Beckham. And then I've gone like that. And then I've gone like that. You went out of it. Yeah. It's really entertaining when the circus comes to town, right? Unless you're in it. <laughs> Sorry, Buster, they can't get in the car. We were drowned. But he just kept going. I don't give up easy. It's Beckham. He's done it now. I don't give up. felt very vulnerable and alone. He 
Yeah, in other way, these documentaries, they do a two and a half minute trailer on Netflix and then you realise that's the only two and a half minutes of the documentary that's actually worth watching. Crossy, how's this one for you? Morning. Do you know what? Anytime they have a bit of a violin and it goes faster, 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 you kind of know this is going to be a juicy documentary. And that trailer only gives about a fifth of what goes on in it. It's good, isn't uh, it? It's good. I'm about three and a half episodes into it. I'm nearly finished it. And we have ate it since Wednesday. Like nearly ate it. It's, it's just, if you're a football fan, it takes the box for that. It takes the box for David Beckham growing up. What were his parents like? Alex Ferguson, when he kicked your man, all that's in it. But then if you're a Spice Girls fan or a general entertainment fan, it ticks all those boxes as well. And um, the one thing that don't really talk about is guitar and, you know, his links with guitar and all that. Mm. But everything else, it's an open book. Uh, they do, I don't want to spoil it, but they do talk about that time with Rebecca Luce. Mm-hmm. They do talk about that incident um, he does talk about mental health a bit you know about how he felt but just like mad things like there's there's random stories in it that you're kind of going was well, it really needed like there's at one stage again this is not a spoiler he's in uh, one of his country estates and he's dressed up like um, he's dressed up like your man from Emmerdale was a set that used to be in yeah. Emmerdale years ago you know <laughs> yeah. green clothes kind of like Del Boy and he says, I sit out here sometimes and he says, I look up to the top left window and he says, Victoria, you know, she's getting naked and she's jumping into the shower. And he says, I just sit there and I admire my wife. And I was going to go, that's not really needed. There's plenty of weirdos out there. If they, if they, you know, break into that country manner, they now know that she gets into the nip right beside that window and jumps into the shower. So like there's intimate parts like that. We're kind of going, was that really needed? I yeah. don't think so. Yeah. They um, seem to have got the great and the good to talk as well. I mean, Alex Ferguson doesn't oh, do interviews. Roy Keane well does a few. I hear his voice in there. They've got so Roy Keane tells a great story. Yeah. Roy Keane has a great story. Just wait for it when it happens. It's just about some of the players that used to, you know, purposely go after Beckham. And uh, Roy Keane is very Roy Keane on his response about what did you do when that happened. It's very good. Uh, Gary Neville's in it. Um, you've got Rio Ferdinand. You got a uh, sporty spice. Uh, just people that you wouldn't really think would be part of it. Uh, Alex Ferguson kind of comes across a bit. I don't know, yeah. jealous. You could say. Well, at the a time, I, jealous. I, I have a friend who's a lifelong Manchester United fan, and therefore would be a lifelong David Beckham fan, and would not like. Yeah. Victoria at all but my view would have been and I don't know whether this comes across in the documentary from following it at the time through the tabloids and through the sports news that Alex didn't like Victoria and didn't think no. she was good for David and and he so, saw him uh, as it, kind it, of a it, surrogate son and wanted that woman away from him and that I think was the start of the breakup of that relationship with Alex 
and and Bex. You can kind of see that, you know, he was training in Manchester. She was in London. He was driving down to London for 15 minutes to have a chat with her and then driving back up. There were times when he was again in Manchester. She was in America and they were flying to meet each other on the DL. You know, I would presume every parent really knows what their kids are up to when they say they don't. I think Alex Ferguson, you know, was seeing him as a as his son was knowing that he was going to meet her. And mm. you get, you find out there's momentous occasions. There was two girls I was talking to that watched the whole thing. And there's a momentous occasion where she rings Bex to say that she's pregnant with the first child. And mm. at the time when he does ring her, there's a lot of questions as to why, sorry, she rings him. Why did she ring at that time? Again, you'll find out in the doc. It's just, it is good. It is good. You see what mm. their life is like. They've together for nearly 30 years now. Yeah. Got married in Castleknock. Um, right. They talk you, about, of course, you know, you know, it was the Bishop of Cork. It was Bishop Paul Colton who performed the wedding ceremony. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, he's not in it, but there's you know, there's a glimpse, of, there's a tiny glimpse of that. It, you know, it hits all angles, I think. Yeah. People the, who don't know about Beckham. The, the soap opera thing about the relationship between the two of them and and uh, and Sir Alex, there was the other thing, of course, that not only did he disapprove of the relationship between them, that he deliberately tried to sour it. Does that come across? It does, yeah, yeah. I think he comes across as a bit of a a jealous, a jealous person in between their relationship, and you'll kind of see that. You know, if you're a Man United fan, you're going to yeah, love uh, Alex Ferguson and everything he does. Well, there you go, Man United fans. Man United fans, at least the ones I know, anyway. And one of my one of my great friends is a lifelong, like Alex Ferguson could could tell you that that tomorrow is 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 Tuesday, and and he'd believe him, you know. So. Yeah, um, you're gonna you're gonna talk you're gonna hear from his his mom and dad. His dad was a massive supporter of his son and pushed him in a lot of ways. Maybe pushed him too hard. So you'll get to see a bit of that. You get to see a very loved up Bex, a Bex who's very OCD, loves to clean a lot, and you can kind of really? see he does a lot around the house where she probably doesn't do much around the house. Yeah. Now they probably have cleaners, but sure he likes to clean. Oh God! Yeah, he likes to clean. So yeah, there's loads of little bits of that. And if for the football watch, fan, like I mean, four hours. For, for those of us who remember watching matches and just how flipping good he was. Are there good clips like that in there? Yeah, episode three is called Golden Balls. So that kind of, uh, you know, tells you bits about that. Uh, it goes through, you know, uh, his good days and his very bad days with Man United, the tensions he had with Sir Alex Ferguson and how they came to an unfortunate end. You have two different sides to that story. Uh, the final episode is called What Makes David Run, where he, ref- you know, reflects on his life after playing sport is, you know, getting into buying clubs, getting into, you know, all his sponsorship deals and all that sort of stuff. And then that's the juicy part about his marriage. The hardest part of his marriage, he calls it. And that's in the final episode. So if you're into that bit of juice, you're going to have to wait till episode four for that. And there's the thing, Crossy, do you know, with the whole lot, look at the two of them, look at the careers that they both have or have and had. They're not doing this because they need the money, because neither of them need need the money. So why do you think they did it? I, you know, I'd say they've probably been offered it constantly and I think they probably feel this is the final time you know to probably give Rand Beckham an even bigger you know market to people who probably have never seen him play football who probably don't know about Spice Girls you know if you're 20 years of age now more than likely you know about them but you probably know their sons and daughter more than them mm-hmm. and because Netflix is massive look at Friends look at Friends the TV show that has got a brand new amount of followers now just because it's on Netflix and people who are 17, 18, 19 are going oh let's watch this so yeah. you know they're, they're clever they're really clever business people 
when when you're done with that, I give you another recommendation. We're watching it at the moment. Stick with it. I haven't got to the end. The wife has watched it and she tells me nothing. She sits there going, wait for it. Dear child, have you seen it? No, not yet. Is it a, is it a horror or a it's, thriller? It's a mystery. It's a thriller. It's a kidnap. It's a child abduction. It's It's German. But it's dubbed, and they've dubbed it so well. I think they've used AI to dub it, so you'd never. Oh, even, amazing! Brilliant. You'd never even think it was German, but it is brilliant. And it, I, I, I've no. I'm five episodes deep, and I have absolutely no idea where it's going. But I can't turn away. I really want to at this time say just you need to watch EastEnders now because they're in the exact same sort of thing at the minute. Uh, they did a flash forward episode in February, and it's all going who killed a certain person at Christmas and the twists and turns I know people are laughing when I always say standards, but <laughs> lads it's proper documentary style these days <laughs> alright Cossie always good always You're good not- to catch up see you fella <laughs> take care man good luck thank you uh, he'll, see, he'll see my dear child and give me EastEnders I know I know thanks mate and the Beckham documentary four episodes of it there's another one actually the Jill Dando documentary I'm being told that's huge as well, but I'm so far. But you see what I'm, I told you in the early in the, I don't do television in the summer, but I'm coming back into it now as we head into the autumn and the winter. The nights are dark and cold and wet, and I watch more telly. Yeah, so I'm in season five of Virgin River. I'm watching Dear Child. I will probably watch the Beckham one. I will watch the Jill Dando. Um, and there's so much. <laughs> I said, John, I might just take six weeks off and watch the telly. I'm joking. 0818-969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. Corks Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here. Score on Cork's 96 FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix on all the latest sport as we focus on Cork City's FAI Cup semi final with St. Pat's and it's another big weekend of Gaelic Games action. Right here, right there. Join Trevor Welch for the score this Sunday from 2 p.m. on Cork's 96 FM. Now, the story of the Belgooley nursing home goes on. We heard about this uh, last month that the Apparee-operated nursing home in Belgooley is to close with people being moved out of it. Um, and in the last few days, there's been a twist in that story in that they're now being moved out of it faster. HICWA has issued a notice of a decision to cancel the registration of Belgooley nursing home. So Apparee, who run it, have now got under until the 25th of October to notify whether they're in intend to appeal it or not and then the HSE will then operate the centre until all residents have been, look it's all rather rather complicated but the fact of the matter is the people who are living currently living in the Belgooley nursing home and their families are presently living in a state of fear and don't know what's going to happen or what their future holds. Senator Tim Lombard, good morning Tim. Good morning PJ what is, what, is, what is going on here? Don't know. Look, this thing's been an, an awful long-running saga and little bits of information have been coming out bit by bit. And I think we've nearly got the full pitch now at this stage. And it probably goes back to last August when they first announced that they were closing the home and they gave six months' notice. HICWA were informed. And that probably goes back to um, a HICWA report that was done last March where there was 35 
our 37 page report done and 17 uh, regulations were looked at and there was significant non-compliance in the majority of them and I think that was a really significant report. Then you move on to August, they announced they're, they're actually going to close. Uh, they gave six months notice and then there was um, on the 26th of September there was another issue from, from HICWA which basically moved their licence and informed them that they had a month to appeal or else they'd actually take over the actual running of the home. And then off the back of that, they sent literally a text message to the 22 residents' families that were left saying that they were going to close the home by the 24th of October, which is one day before the proposal that they'd be actually closed or taken in control if it came to us by the, the HSE. Put in simple terms, Tim, has HICWA said to Apparee Living that Belgooley Nursing Home is not fit to be operating? Is that what they've oh, said? Absolutely, I think that's it in a nutshell. And I think, you know, Hickwell have been quite proactive in this one, like they really have. And like some of the issues here we're talking about are management issues, some of them are financial issues, some of them are fire safety issues. Like in the report that was brought forward, I think there was 14 red issues regarding fire safety, 12 and weren't addressed. Really crazy stuff altogether. Um, like this is a nightmare scenario for these pay for these families that would have made a really tough decision to put their loved ones in a nursing home and hoping that they'd be well taken care of, and then to have a scenario that you know the standards weren't met. Mm. And I think that's really what what happened here. You know. So where are those twenty two people that are left? Where are they going to go now, Tim? Because it's very important for them to be near their families. Completely, and look, we're looking at 22 people, we're looking at 22 families trying to find locations for them. Some of them, unfortunately, are really high dependent. Some of them are dementia patients. Um, we've spoken to a lot of them in the last few days. We're actually writing to nursing homes ourselves at the moment, which isn't my job, but it's what you have to do to see if we actually find locations for them. And like uh, the knock-on implications that some of these loved ones that are, that are connected to these families are old. So in other words, I have a lady on to me that is trying to find a place for her husband who is d- dementia. He's in the nursing home. But she won't go through the Jack Lynch tunnel and trying to find a person, a place on the south side of Cork City for that. That's appropriate is what she's looking for. Um, so like it's trying to find locations in a very, very short space of time and literally 23 or 24 days. So Apparee have, have other outlets as well, don't there? Or other operations. What's the story with them? Yeah, so basically this is more web. We're not fully sure. So we were written to Apparee about the ownership of this home in Belgooley. They were told that they don't own it, that they only manage it, which was news to us. Mm. Um, on their website, they have another nine properties that we believe they, we know they manage. We don't know whether they own or not because we can't actually work out who the owner is regarding the properties itself. And um, there is probably issues that will be addressed in maybe six of these homes too as well. Um, it'd be very interesting what's going to happen in the next few days or even hours. Like this thing changed dramatically in the last few days as well. Mm. I think there could be significant movement in the majority of these homes in time. Mm. With, without putting it into so many words, Tim, uh, there is another rumour going around as to why what they want to get the people out of Belgooley. You know the other rumour. I don't need to put it into there words is, on the radio. There is... And you know what? I was I listened to that rumour and I think there was an awful misinformation when this thing came out first in August. I think that rumour was very much out there that this was going to go into some kind of refugee centre of some nature. But yeah. at the end of the day, this, this thing turned into another, another issue of um, management, how they ran the home, how they actually worked it, how the finances were worked. I think, that was, I think that's, that's actually a secondary issue. I think I this actually 
just actually came down to the Hickwell report, 37-page report. A damning report. Yes, yes, yes. And it oh. came down to that. And I just think they couldn't fit or match the criteria that was rightly looked for by Hickwell. Okay. We'll stay across it, uh, Tim, because there's 22 people there and they're more important than any, any Hickwa and they're more important than any ownership and they're more important those 22 people and their families needing to be supported. Thank you for that. That's the latest update from Senator Tim Lombard on Belgooley Nursing Home. The other rumour that's around is that once it's empty, it'll be occupied by refugees. Uh, we don't know whether that's true. We genuinely don't know whether that's true. But the HICWA report, which is available and can be read, is damning. That is true. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. So you can probably talk to someone different every day of the week about a weight loss story on the Opinion Line because some people are achieving great things with weight loss and getting to the bottom of why they had problems with their weight in the first place. You could do one every day, but we don't. But I'm going to talk to Jessica because, Jessica, you've lost 10 stone in a year and you say your entire life has changed. 10 stone, Jessica. Like that is a whole person. Well done. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, I still can't believe it's actually true being able to say that I've lost 10 stone. It was surgery in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, I went for weight loss surgery and that's what helped me lose all the weight. Mm. We'll talk a little bit, bit about that in a minute. But you, you'd been struggling with your weight for, for a few years. Yeah, so I've been overweight my entire life. Um, I don't remember a time where I ever wasn't overweight. And but it really came to a head. I think like I'm 25 now, but it really came to a head when I was 23. Um, my stepfather passed away, and it kind of was around that time last June that I was like, I need to make a change here. At his funeral, you weren't able to walk behind the coffin, was that it? Yeah, so what happened was is my mum didn't want any of us kind of, she didn't want him being shouldered down the kind of aisle of the church, so the kind of the grandchildren and all the women in his life pushed the coffin down the aisle, yeah. and only that I happened to be at the feet of the coffin where it was narrower was the only reason I actually fit and was mm. able to do it, but even at that... I was hopping over pews to try and fit down the aisle and it was absolutely mortifying, but that isn't even what made it worse. He was big into the ga, um, so he had a guard of honour um, from the church to his graveside and I knew like my mobility had gotten to the stage where I could only walk a few hundred yards at a time without getting out of breath. So I knew if I walked behind the coffin on the way to the grave that I wouldn't make it. So I kind of had to go around the other side of the church on my own because I could kind of travel a bit further if I walked quickly. So I went on my own down to the grave and I sat there for 15 minutes while I waited for the coffin to come down on my own. And I just remember looking into the hole going, if I don't do something now, I'm going to be not long down there after him. Like it was kind of a moment where something just clicked in me. It was what I call my rock bottom moment. It must have been an awful sensation. Here you were, you know, your stepfather 
I'm sure I'm, I assume you were very close. You yeah. wanted to walk with the coffin. You physically weren't able. You barely made it yeah. down the aisle of the church because of you were too wide, not wanting to put yeah. too, you know. And uh, oh no, it's the truth, PJ. It's fine. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. I, I did, that sounded no, all I wrong. No, I mean it's okay. Okay, so you must have felt awful sitting there looking into his grave, did you? Yeah, it was kind of because at that stage I'd kind of tried everything to lose the weight, and I was. I'd accepted that this was my life now and that, like, I was always going to be morbidly obese and, you know, I'd be all right kind of staying in my house all the time. And it was at that moment that I just went, no, there's more to life than this. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, I felt like I'd left him down, that I couldn't be there for him on his final travel. I felt like I left myself down. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this is the moment. It's just something clicked in my head. That's the only way I can describe it. It was yeah. like a switch went off and I was like, something needs to change here. Had you figured out or had you ever figured out why it was that you were struggling? Was it just a, a thing? Yeah, that went, so when did it start? I had actually, I had gone to my doctor in October 2021 and I had said, like, I need help here. Like, I was like, I've tried everything. I was like, I thought there was just something wrong with me that I just couldn't stick to a diet or I had no willpower. Or I was like, I need help. So he referred me to a nutritionist and but there was a long waiting time for me to actually get there so they recommended I start going to counselling and it was through going to counselling with a psychiatrist that I was actually diagnosed with binge eating disorder um, which is a type of an eating disorder where you kind of you restrict and then because you restricted all day you end up binging and you feel guilty and it's a vicious cycle yeah and so I was diagnosed with that and that's kind of what explained to me really why I struggled with everything that I struggled with. Yeah. But the main thing that I kind of realised and I did through counselling was we went back to, God, I, we went back to when I was four years of age as to where my issues with food started. Sure. Um, and like why I relied on it, why I went to it and I was upset, why did I go to it and I was sad or happy, you know. So I kind of went back all the way to kind of wow. figure out why did this pattern start and how were we going to change it. Was it hard to get to that point and realise this happened when I was four or four and a half? Yeah, it was very tough and it took a, it took a good few sessions to actually, you know, bring it to words because it's not something I'd ever thought about, but mm. it actually went back to something when, I can't remember now what the event was, okay. but I was upset. I remember being four years old and something had happened. I don't know, did I have a fight with my friend outside or was there something going on? I'm not sure, right. but I remember being handed a lollipop to kind of cheer me up. I and I was like, that's my first memory of going, food makes it better. So that's kind of where we went back to. So it was a matter then of working on, right, we, that little girl had that struggle with food and, you know, I acknowledged that and I kind of had a lot of work healing my inner child. And But it's like, how is Jessica now as an adult going to not always go back to her old habits that got her to being morbidly obese? So it was kind of a matter of switching things like, I'm upset, I might go for a walk or I'm upset, I might start journaling. Like I don't, I no longer go to the kind of, one fix all that I used yeah. to go to. You recognise now from when you were a little four-year-old kid, when you were upset, you ate. So so yeah. now you have to recognise when you're upset, there needs to be some other way to deal with it other than eating. Exactly, yeah. I see. And I'm that's one thing in my whole journey, because I know I did go for weight loss surgery, and it's a question I'm asked a lot of the time, was 
how did I cope with it? Because it's a mental, like it's a mental battle every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because of the counselling I did and the mental work I did before I went. And okay. like, I will always be so grateful because my doctor, I went through a thing called the cross-border directive. I'm not sure if you've heard about it. I have done, where yeah. when, uh, So I went to the Czech Republic, but he had to sign off on obviously me going. Um, for me to be able to claim my money back and he was like look Jessica I want you to go for counselling and at the time I was like this is I don't want to do this at all like you're being dramatic and I remember I came home and I had to go out and get my stitches out and I was like I don't like admitting when I'm wrong but I was like you were right (laughs) so it's one thing that I would recommend anyone if they're ever considering any sort of weight loss journey or weight loss surgery in any way shape or form is to go to counselling because it's the best thing I ever did and if someone had said to you I'm sorry I missed what age you are now I'm 25 you're 25 now if someone had said to you maybe two or three years ago or if someone had said to you on that day when you're sitting by your stepfather's grave waiting for the funeral procession to arrive, like you said your your rock bottom moment if someone had said to you Jessica, this started when you were four and somebody gave you a lollipop because you were upset you, you, would you have believed them? Probably not, because at that stage of my kind of journey, I knew there was an issue, but mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was and I thought it was complete and utter laziness, so I would have said no, I can't blame something like that Whereas it took a lot, a lot of mental work to kind of acknowledge that, you know, obesity in itself is a disease. I have an eating disorder that started back then. Like, it's a series of unfortunate events, unfortunately, that led to where I was. Poor girl. If you'd said to me on that day, I probably would have, I would have thought you were being dramatic. You poor girl. There was an awful lot of self-loathing going on. Oh, PJ, like, I didn't, like, I didn't even like leaving the house. Um, like, cause I've always, like, I've always had a kind of presence on social media doing makeup and stuff, but in a way, it was a way of hiding as well, cause only showing a certain angle of my face. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like people knew I was still okay and all that kind of stuff. But I like even go, if something as small as going to Aldi, I would like rather write a list and send somebody out because even like the closest members of my family, I, if they called, I'd go upstairs because I just, I hated myself. And I just was so embarrassed to even be alive. And like I had, I knew I had potential because like I have a master's degree. I had like my career was going well, but it was just a matter of I was shooting myself in the foot. You said there you were putting it down to laziness. So you call, you consider yourself lazy. At the time I considered myself lazy. Yeah. Wow. Um, looking back, <clears throat> excuse me, with the benefit of hindsight, I realise now that I had a lot going on and I look back at myself with a much kinder, I know um, and I actually like when I think because I have a lot of moments where I go this time last year now I if you told me I love going to the gym I'd have laughed at you and I have a load of those kind of conversations of this time last year or this time two years ago mm-hmm. and I just see myself and even when I look back on photos and stuff I can just see the heartbreak in my eyes and I just think to myself why wasn't I kinder to myself but mm-hmm. I can only move forward now mm-hmm. and be nicer to the person I am now today and like I honestly I know it sounds like a cliche but I couldn't be happier at Good where I you. am at the moment you, well, you know you have an incredible attitude to the situation yeah. you know you've, you've, you really have come to terms with it and you make the point and I'll come back to it it's, it's, it's vital to come to terms with what the reasons are before you go for the surgery so you went off to the Czech Republic I'm sure you went off 
you know, conscious of the fact that sometimes this goes wrong. And we've heard so many of those stories. But tell me a bit exactly. about that experience. It was, like I said, a common theme of my journey is that there's a lot of thought went into everything I did. Um, there was, like, I thought that I could just, like, I never once, even through all my years of going, I'll try Slimming World or I'll try whatever, I never, ever considered weight loss surgery because in my mind it was always a last resort. Mm. Like, that is something that only people who have are at rock bottom do. And it was actually a friend of mine had gone and gotten um, a gastric bypass herself. And she had explained to me in detail of what it entailed. And I was kind of going, right, but if I'm going to consider it, I'm going to stay in Ireland. Because I've heard all the horror stories of people flying abroad and like coming home on planes and getting blood clots and things like that. Like it was something that was very like in my mind. I didn't do it at all without any research. Yeah. But it just wasn't feasible. Like I spoke to my GP about it and I have to say he was absolutely amazing. He had me on the waiting list for Ireland and he was like, look, Jessica, he's like, if you're going to go on the waiting list for the public sector, you're looking at six years. And even if you want to go privately and pay for it yourself, which will cost upwards of 20,000 euro, he was like, um, you're looking at a year or two. He's right. like, even we're going privately. And so he was like, look, I I, I'm not trying to push you to go out of Ireland, but these are your options if you do want to go out of Ireland. Mm. So and I researched heavily all these different places that I could go. And the cross-border directive, which we've talked about many times on this programme, that was able to facilitate? Without that, I wouldn't have been able to do it at all. And how quickly were you able to get an appointment? I got in contact with the company I went with. They were called New Leaf. They're an English-based company that booked the surgeries in the Czech Republic. I got in contact with them. My stepfather's funeral was the 5th of June. I think I contacted them on the 10th, mm -hmm. and they were able to then book me in. Um, my, my date was the 19th of September, so I was able to get in fairly quickly. But like even them themselves, it wasn't a matter of how I want to have weight loss surgery and no bother will book you in. They had a matter of steps they'd go through to make mm. sure you were okay for it. And they wanted to see blood work and all that kind of stuff. So okay. it was a long process, but by the time I got through it, I, the, the turnaround was fairly quick. When you woke up from the surgery, and what was your first thought? My first thought was, this is the first, like, this is the first moment of my new life. Because mm -hmm. um, I actually still remember my last thought before I went under. I had a plan, I had a trip planned to Killarney um, for Christmas, um, my whole family. And I remember going, if, like, if this is successful, like, imagine all the things I'm going to be able to do in Killarney that I wouldn't have been able to do beforehand. And I know it sounds silly, but no. even that, it's just something that sticks in my mind, PJ, of me hoping like for a better life um after waking up and it's the first thing I revisited when I woke up and I was like oh my god right. I was like from here it can only get better how quickly did the weight start to fall off um so very very quickly so at the start they call it the honeymoon stage where like you know the first few months is going to fall off yeah because you have you have three weeks where you can only have liquids. You have two weeks where you can only have puree and then you kind of start going on to softer foods and it takes you a good few months to kind of build it back up. So like to kind of give you a picture of how fast the weight fell off me, when I was going over, um, I had gotten so big that I booked myself two seats um, on the flight over and back 
and I needed um, a seatbelt extender mm. and going over. And I had dropped so much weight in the seven days that I was in the Czech Republic that I didn't need a seatbelt extender or my second seat wow. um, on the way home. Wow. That so, must have been heartbreaking, even though, yes, you're going for a surgery to, to sort this out. To have to actually book two seats, that must have felt awful. Yeah, it was it was very, very embarrassing. Um, even because I remember on the way home, we were in the kind of checking lounge when you're getting bored in the flight and my name was called in the intercom. The airline had presumed that um, my name was down twice for a clerical error and the flight was actually like fully booked. And they called me and they were like, oh, do you know, there's two seats here for you. And I was like, no, they were booked. And I remember just being so, so embarrassed, oh, yeah. being like, I, I can't give up the seat if the flight is overbooked, like, because I wouldn't fit otherwise. Now, I know I did in the end, but even that having that being my reality, PJ, was it was a very sobering moment. You poor girl. You poor girl. So, yeah. so back now, 10 stone lighter. Uh, life is changed very much. Um, I've seen before and after pictures. You look fabulous. Um, but, Thank you. But you. You said something to me earlier. You said you have to think about this every day and there's a struggle every day. Yeah. Do you want to talk more about so, that for a bit? The one thing that, because like there's a lot, because I share my journey on social media, that I have a lot of people who message me kind of with their stories of their weight loss journeys with our surgery and like advice for going forward if they were ever thinking about it. And one thing I always want to make sure people know is that this isn't a one-stop shop. This, you having this surgery isn't going to magically make you lose all this weight. I would only ever tell somebody if they have come to the decision themselves, they've done the research, it is their last option that they're going to need to have weight loss surgery. Only then will I tell you, like, you know, this is where I went, this is whatever, because it's not something I would ever want someone to feel that they have to do mm. um, and they're not ready for it because... Even like I would have considered myself very ready for it because of all the mental work I did before I went. And even I struggle every single day. So to explain the struggle, it's like when I eat PJ, I might eat half a banana. And every single time I eat, I feel like I've eaten a Christmas dinner. So that stuffed feeling you have. And like I have to lie down. And it's like there's no scientific reasoning behind like sometimes when you have a surgery, you might have loved pasta beforehand. And all of a sudden after your surgery, pasta makes you vomit every time you eat it. So like there's no reason behind it. Your body just changes. What have you had to eat today now, for example? Like today now I had, you know, the dairy dunkers. I have them every morning and an Actimel and I had a protein shake. But like that now, uh, an Actimel, even a year on, an Actimel might take me 10 minutes to drink on a, on a bad, like, so what it's called, it's called your restriction. So yeah. it's how much your stomach can take. So some days I can drink my Actimel in five minutes. Some days it might take me 20 minutes. And even the difference of life every single day and like the feelings that you have, it's a massive mental struggle. Like the phys- the physicality of losing weight and like having to buy new clothes and like actually going out exercising. Like I'm in the gym four days a week. I walk every day. It's kind of, that's easy compared to the work you have to do like in your head to deal with things because like I suffer with body dysmorphia so like when I look in the mirror I know I've lost 10 stone but I still see myself the way I used to look and I find it very difficult to kind of navigate like I'd still go into pennies and buy the biggest size I can buy and I come home and I look like a box because the jumper is too big for me and so it's 
it's very, very, very tough to deal with mentally. And a lot of people after their first year would fail because the, if you don't do the mental work of like, how did you get to where you were and how are you going to solve it? If you do, I would personally say that if you don't do that, it's you're, st- you're starting your journey with one foot out the door because it's going to eventually creep back up those old feelings you did have. Mm. And it's just like I said, it's a mental battle every single day. So like mm. I said earlier on, and I'll always come back to it, is that going to counselling is the best thing you could ever do at the start of your journey. Are you still doing a bit of counselling? Oh, every week. Yeah. <laughs> I have no shame in admitting it. Now there's some weeks where I feel strong enough to, like, you know, if my counsellor, because I use Better Help, it's an app on the phone. Um, there's some weeks where she can't meet me and I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Um, I'm okay this week. Or there's other weeks then she might schedule another person. And like, I've gone maybe a month or two without seeing anybody or, okay. but I, it's, it's like, it's, it's there if you need it. I, yeah, it's there when I need it, basically. And, like, I have an amazing support system in my family, like, and my friends. I couldn't, I genuinely don't think I could have gotten through it without my support system um, because they're, like, they're on my bad days. They're the people who pick me up on my good days. They're the people that jump with me. And even knowing through sharing my journey on social media that, like, I'm helping other people sure. kind of come, like, it's something I don't think I'll ever believe is real because like I'm not a professional in any way shape or form like I work I work in policy I work in like different things like I'm a makeup artist like you know it's like I'm not this professional person at all but just knowing that people I actually received a message last night off a girl and she was like thank you for sharing your journey because I know I'm not alone and I was like even to have that thought in one person's head that me being open with my journey and like speaking to yourself or having an article that I had in a magazine is helping a person realise yeah. they're not the only person going through it is something that makes me grateful I shared my journey every single day. Take me back lastly to that very sad day at your stepdad's graveside when you couldn't physically stand behind his coffin and walk to now. When you think about the two up against one another, how do you feel? I wish I could give her a hug. Um, Sorry, I get emotional every time I talk about it. I wish I could give her a hug and tell her it was going to be okay. The Jessica by the graveside. Yeah, I wish I could just stand in front of her and say, this isn't going to be your life forever. That you are going to go on and you're going to have this amazing life because like, if you told me I was living the life I do now or a year ago, I don't think I could have believed you. And it brings me back to one of the one of the most sobering thoughts I had to have on my journey. And it brings up something you mentioned earlier about the kind of horror stories you hear about people having weight loss surgery, whether it be in Ireland or abroad. And I remember thinking I would rather something if it's like if something happened to me on that surgical table I would have rather that happened me trying to save my life than continue going the way I was and even thinking back on that thought I just wish I could give that girl a hug like she still lives inside me like she's not gone anywhere like I'm still that girl but one thing I say I feel now that I'm like people say they feel like a new person but I don't feel like a new person I feel like I'm myself but I'm unapologetically myself now. I'm not ashamed to be myself anymore. And that in itself, regardless of the physical weight loss, is the confidence I have now just to even be a person mm-hmm. is something I wouldn't trade for the world. Well, it's been a privilege to hear your story of your journey. Jess, thank you so much. Thank you, PJ. It was a pleasure talking to you. 
Well, there you go. Thanks, Jess. I'm kind of, very few people that you talk to in this old job after this many years knock you sideways and put you flat in your arse and go, I can't answer that. I have nothing else to say on the back of that. She's just great. And best of luck to you. Uh, and every success for the future, Jessica. Thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Who is this? You've caught, you, you caught me, Fergal. Like, there's so many talented women out there who do a brilliant job. Um, whether it's there's just so many of them. I could name them, but I won't start. Annette in Mallow picked up, and I thought that is our own Derville O'Rourke. Uh, and Annette, you win today with the Menopause Summit Little Prize on its way to you. Three rounds of the two grand a minute tomorrow when the lads are back at 6am. They've one final chance as well for you to win tickets to picture this and the Battle of the Bangers is always fun on a Friday. But that's it from us for today. Programme edited by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We'll put all your podcasts up ASAP and I'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.